Hello and welcome to Radio Free Nintendo. I am your host, James Jones, and with me today is Mr. Greg Leahy. Yo, hoi, hoi, everyone. Hello, Greg. It's, uh, it's 501. It's not even 500 anymore. Like, this is, this is, we should just, we should just pull a, uh, a Nintendo news report and restart. Just make this episode <laughs> one. So it's December 8th, 2006. And this is episode one of Radio Free Nintendo. I'm joined today by Mr. Guillaume Vayette. How's it going? Oh, it's going great when this brand new podcast that never had any episodes prior. How about you? It's I'm great. Thanks. This is this is the original episode. We are not joined today by John Lindemann, who is out doing something probably illegal. We had him for 500. That's pretty much all I could ask for. So we're going to get right down to it with new business this week. Greg. Yes. <laughs> yeah, lots of uh, lots of stuff been going on since the last time we did new business. Uh, first of all, uh, as a follow-up to something I talked about a few weeks ago, they fixed F0X on the Wii U VC. If you remember, for some reason it came out with the analog control. <laughs> it's strangely faulty uh, where there was this big dead zone you couldn't even really adjust the uh, acceleration top speed trade-off <laughs> in the, the mm. first menu that you have to go through uh, before you get into a race uh, which you th- thought would have been a tip-off but yeah, they got round to fixing it and the, the improvement is obvious straight away from that aforementioned screen and then indeed when you play the game it feels a fair bit better I don't. it, it does kind of make you wonder how accurate it is or how accurate a lot of games are you know like when something this blatant got past them maybe a, a somewhat more minor miscalibration might persist but i mean uh, we have the we have all the talk about the fact that the colors look washed out on the wii u virtual console yeah, um, with the n64 that, uh in particular i think that that's yeah. kind of a complaint you know i mean certain like gba games in original resolution look quite quite you know, vivid by comparison so right i'm not exactly but that's an m2 sort of operation for whatever reason whereas yeah uh the n64 games i don't believe they are I'm not sure what's going on there, but, um, you know, obviously still a fun game. And I assume this may mean it's being prepped to come out in the States now. We just got Excite Bike, so maybe it's going to be a little sort of exchange program style thing going on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> go with that. Uh, yeah, other stuff. Pokemon, uh, you know, I've I've seen the credits of the game. We've played the post game for quite a while now. My Pokedex is up over 100, which is about a third of the Alolan pokedex obviously it's much less a considerably smaller fraction of all of them all of them uh these days which is like over 700 isn't it uh yeah the the complete number yeah for the alolan pokedex i've got it's eleven thousand. no not quite (laughs) but um yeah i I, I enjoyed it you know all the way through and now in the post game stuff there's a certain amount of like narrative kind of scenarios to go through but a lot of what i've been doing is just kind of poking around bits of the environment um that i haven't really done before because it does kind of lead you by the hand pretty much through the story if you if you want to you know if, if you sort of don't make the effort stray off the beaten path like has that little like flag on the bottom screen to kind of tell you where you should be going at a given moment and i think i just mostly followed that during uh, the playthrough so there's kind of a, it's, it's always been a surprising amount of, of stuff that I found where you know well I could have gone here sooner I just didn't 
Um, in some cases, those were maybe uh, at least partially locked behind the um, ride Pokemon, substituting uh, for the hidden moves uh, from from previous games. But yeah, in a lot of cases, I probably just could have gone there before, but I didn't. So sometimes it's like going around areas with lower level Pokemon, which obviously isn't great for training and stuff. But you can still find you know items and TMs, and it's just fun. It's a fun world to explore. So I've been enjoying the the post game stuff quite a lot. Also done a bit of multi multiplayer, uh, two-player double battles are are a lot of fun. Uh, It's been a long time since I've done that, uh, going back to the the DS days and, uh, you know, trying out different teams and stuff. And did have one ridiculously close match. Obviously, a lot of the time it can be just a case of, well, you know, you should have withdrawn that Pokemon or maybe like a move misses or something. It just means uh, you know, somebody gets killed instantly or whatever. But uh, in one um, perfect case, it was pretty much scripted to come down right to the end who was going to win just based on, you know, whether uh, you know, a crit- critical hit could have swung it. Either way, it's, it's yeah, still a load of fun. So uh, Pokemon's been going well. Uh, a few other things I want to mention. Shovel Knight, um, so... Uh, has come back in the news with the Spectre Knight thing, but I ended up picking up the regular game again because around Black Friday is an event on the calendar here now uh, because the internet has spread accounting-based holidays (laughs) to other countries. And, uh, yeah, the Nintendo's official store had a sale and they were selling the... um, the Shovel Knight Amiibo for half price. I thought, eh, I'll get it. It's one of the nicer looking ones, and it fulfills my criteria of being weird. Like, I like the fact this exists kind of thing. Like, Little Mac and Duck Hunt and all that kind of stuff, where it's just like, well, it doesn't really seem like this should exist. But because it does, I'll get it. Especially so, if it's Mr. Game & Watch? No, I've With- not got Mr. Game & Watch. It's just, you know... I mean, I feel like that that fills the criteria. It more does than... fulfill the criteria. It's just it's a silhouette. I mean, you know, I do want the actual collectible to look somewhat. You know, I think I think that makes it fulfill the criteria even more. It though. does, a, but I this guess really shouldn't that exist. Particular criterion, yes. The other criteria being that it's something I enjoy looking at less. Of. Fair enough. Uh, it may but, it may fulfill the first too well. Yes, precisely. But yeah, with the Shovel Knight one, you know, it's got some fairly significant kind of things that it uh, unlocks in the game. Um, because it unlocks co-op for a start, which I'll probably never get use out of because you know it's not it's not the easiest probably game to get into if you're not someone who's weaned on classic action games like like we were. Uh, you know, so I doubt that'll be uh, you know, a choice for a multiplayer session. But um, you have got some uh, challenges that uh, that are used there. Uh, you know, the, the challenge mode I think came with um, Plague of Shadows update. You get some sort of amiibo specific ones there because you've got powers that are unlocked uh, through the amiibo, the custom night mode in that. So you can sort of, if you scan the amiibo and then place custom night, you sort of 
you gain experience for it with all the gold you collect and then it gradually unlocks a bunch of powers some of which were powers already in the game and some of which weren't and then some of these new ones are then used in the, the specific challenges where you've got like a little slice of a level that's been remixed to you know heavily feature one particular kind of technique or mechanic and then you've just got to you know get to the end so they're pretty tricky but fun oh yeah uh yeah i, I enjoyed doing those quick as you got five solo five co-op in those and then I did, I did a bit of playing with the with the custom night thing which is interesting because i mean it, it's generally going to make the game easier because you know you are getting powers that you shouldn't have really like you pretty early on i got the propeller night sort of dagger which just lets you do an air dash which you know makes significantly easier you know a lot of portions of the game so i've tried to sort of rebalance it a little bit by uh, having the policy of always destroying the checkpoints and not using them, which has the side effect of getting you more uh, money, which it levels him up faster. Uh, so it's kind of, uh, I, I thought I'd try that. And it's been fun, but what I also thought I'd do is combine two of my most superfluous recent purchases by playing the game with my NES controller from the uh, NES Classic Mini release. I said I got the controller, not the system. So you can use that with Shovel Knight. Uh, did a little bit of button remapping. So the select button could handle changing the, uh, the, yeah, the item that you like. But um, yeah, it's uh, it feels right unsurprisingly playing that game with an nes controller uh so it's just a cute little uh thing to actually use that mostly ornamental purchase that i made and yet still a good game shockingly uh if you can believe it uh, but i guess uh now i'm kind of wondering you know how far i should go with this playthrough considering spectre knight is coming although i guess that's going to be more significantly different than uh, oh yeah Plague knight was by the sound I'm, of it i i'm Plague Knight was what took some getting used to. I, I remember. I think I played through the whole Plague Knight mode in about two set sittings on the same day. Like I really cranked through it because he, I think most of the first sitting was me just getting used to playing as Plague Knight, and then and then it, it clicked and I was able to kind of run run roughshod through the levels. He's he's fundamentally different, Spectre Knight, because his thing is he he and Propeller Knight fly. So how do you ref, you know refashion that into a platformer? Yeah, it sounds like the actual levels will be a lot more different. Like you know, because Plague Knight had different mechanics, but the levels right. were only sort of mildly remixed. Where it seems Spectre Knight, I guess they're going to reuse locations and you know stuff like that. But the actual like layout seemed like it would be more different. And he seemed like he got quite a Mega Man X thing going on. It's uh, yeah, wall clinging, air dashing. That kind of stuff. Um, so Spectre Knight's going to be interesting, but like I said, maybe it won't be as much of a kind of journey through exactly the same levels the way that Plague Knight was. So, and like I said, I mean, for me, that's the thing about this custom night mode is that, you know, he, like, I mean, one of the amiibo challenges pretty much is Plague Knight's power, you know, that bomb jump that he's got. Like, that—that that is one right. of the custom night abilities as well. So that's what's going to be interesting is kind of just 
messing around with all these different uh, abilities and seeing how different a play style you can actually achieve with Shovel Knight. And you've got like these charge moves as well, which can do like can like draw in the gold, which is good because it's it's good uh, even though it's kind of meaningless because it's not so much about it's not even about spending gold anymore. It's just about collecting it when you're using Custom Knight. It's it's just so annoying where you die in such a place that yeah the gold bags are still there but you can't get them without dying <laughs> so mm. they're lost Jeez. whereas you but custom knight has an ability where you can just draw in any nearby treasure to you if you set that as his charge oh, so, i see even That's though it's pretty... kind of meaningless in the context of this playthrough it still felt good to do it it still yeah, felt therapeutic. shit that was just right out of reach and was like oh, i don't want to go over there it looks scary just yeah. comes right to you oh so it's it's a fun you know it's it's a fun kind of revisit for me of a game that I really liked. Uh, so yeah, that that I'd probably go at least a little bit further, if not all the way through the game. Although it doesn't take too long when you know what you're doing. But then finally, I'm going to talk quickly about Picross 3D Round Two. The international nightmare is over. It's finally out in Europe. I've been playing a lot of it. Um, not a whole lot to say. Obviously, it's already been discussed here uh, a fair bit. I have found that the you know having the two types of blocks that you're kind of looking for does change the experience a bit. So even like having played a fair bit of 3D Picross lately on the Wii U Virtual Console, this still felt a little bit fresh. But you know, it, it's it's 3D Picross. It, it is what it is. It's not going to be right that different. Uh, but uh, the other thing I like about it so far is the fact that the the way they kind of handle unlocking and kind of spreading out the puzzles is sort of less linear uh, than it was in 3D Picross for DS in that, you know, kind of you just had to go through kind of reams of easy puzzles to get to anything a bit more challenging Whereas here, you know, it, it it mixes them up a bit. You've got these sort of these books of puzzles, and you know, some might be you know really sort of big, complicated ones, and even some be quite small, uh, easy ones. Uh, so there's kind of a bit more of a general sort of uh, fluctuation in the complexity, which I, I don't know. For me, as, as I said before, it's not really about the challenge that much. So it's not really like, oh, well, this is easy now. I don't care. You know, like I, I'm quite happy to do an easy one every now and again to kind of break up, uh, uh, you know, a string of just doing increasingly time-consuming complex ones. I, I, I like the sort of pick and mix, uh, spreading out of the of the puzzles a lot more. So it, you know, it's uh, it agrees with me uh, perfectly well, rather than just you know, just felt sometimes like especially. With the original 3D Picross doing the uh, the first set, the easy set that it was kind of you know I would li- I would have liked to sort of skip ahead to a more complex one you know once in a while at least and then I could come back and do the- it. It just feels more monotonous when you're doing all the easy ones all at once. If you mix them about like this, I think it's better. So, yeah, that's uh, that's on the 3DS and it's uh, you know it's not going anywhere because it's digital this time, which makes this <laughs> even more sort of uh, it sure is. It, 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 it makes it even more uh, easy to just dip in whenever you like. So that'll be going on for probably months and months and months. Goodness knows how long. Uh, but yeah, that may, may be the last I'll, I'll save it here. Although I should say, does have uh, the, on Amiibo um, topics, I did scan in my Yoshi and got a Yoshi puzzle, which was nice. It's, it's, nice. It's nice to have something, you know, just, just 
little treat. There's a Yoshi puzzle. Go along with the <laughs> some, rest. Some some function. Yeah. So so one amiibo, one puzzle. So there's not that much content kind of locked away for people who don't have amiibo. Then I no, suppose. no, I don't think so. Because I think it's only a few that are compatible. It's like a few Kirby ones because of Hal being the developer, mm-hmm. I guess. Of course. And then and then uh, there's some Kirby sound effects as well. But <laughs> whenever I get like a medal for doing it, you know, however quickly or whatever, the that noise is just like <laughs> a Kirby noise. Um, and then there's Mario character ones and Link maybe and that's about it you know and and some of them i think unlock the same one like peach and toad unlock the same one or something i was reading which ones are compa- and yoshi was the only one i had so i think uh, if i remember correctly so yeah it's, it's not a lot but it's a cute little thing to have if you've got one or two you know that, that do work with it cool guillaume yes so um I'm I'm playing uh, stuff, uh, Nintendo stuff. I have been. <laughs> okay, I have, thank I, you for saving that. Yeah, well, so I, I am playing some Nintendo stuff. Uh, Karen and I have been kind of uh, playing again, new, uh, what am I saying? Super Mario 3D World. And we finished the regular levels in that. And the next to last world has kind of the the most frustrating levels so instead of going to the special stages we were just like yeah if this we're, we're going to move on to new Super Mario Brothers uh you but personally I'm a little bit Marioed out um so <laughs> I don't know I need a break I've been playing Nintendo stuff so I've been playing read-only memories on the uh, PC and this game I think is coming out soon on PlayStation 4 in kind of an upgraded form with more uh, voice acting and stuff. But uh, the version I've been playing is really, really good. And I kind of dread the idea of playing with voice acting because, you know, it's an independent game and I, I don't even like good voice acting in games. So I can't even imagine, you know, the the... the the kind of the quality that we're going to get. It might be good, but I, I just... Uh, it, it it almost certainly won't be. Yeah. Like, yeah. like the very unlikely, let's put it that way. Yeah, and I, I'm almost certain to not like it, even if it's good. Anyway, that's kind of... That's my problem, I suppose. But yeah, like, it's this really good um, point-and-click adventure game that is... I've never played Snatcher because it's it's hard to get your hands on. But I have seen Snatcher, I've seen videos, I've seen pictures, and this game is so inspired by Snatcher. Like, it, oh, it's yeah. crazy. It's just, it, they go for that kind of art style. I know that in Snatcher, there's kind of, they, that game was compatible with, like, light gun accessories, because there's these kind of shooting mini games in it, like sections, where you have to retire replicants. Um, and for, uh, Yeah, Snatcher is a, is a 12 out of 10 on the weird scale. Yeah. And uh, so, the, the, like, that minigame is almost exactly reconstituted in, in read-only memories. And they thank Hideo Kojima at the end, you know, in the credits. So, yeah, like, you know where they took their inspiration. So, yeah, so it's this, uh, you know, set in the near future in uh, Neo San Francisco. And uh, God damn it. <laughs> so, uh, like, genetic splicing and... AI advancement have made it so that people have like cyborg cyborg parts or or whatever and have you know will splice and like furries will become a reality 
You know, literally. God damn it! I know. San Francisco not insufferable enough as it is. Yeah, if, yeah. Like San Francisco is a good setting for this game, especially. Oh. Um, oh. But you know, like the, so that's the setting. You know, like there's uh, groups that are against, like, well, who who are like, well, we're going too fast, and you know, with these uh, technologies and what makes us even human anymore. You know, like topics that have never been explored in science fiction before. Um, but <laughs> or, uh, or sci-fi video games, either. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Or movies. So, uh, or you know, so in this setting, uh, you're a journalist. Apparently, they still exist in the future. All right, and, so already uh, we know this is science fiction. And you 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 live in a crummy apartment, but even then, you know, journalists still live in San Francisco. Apparently, it's it's kind of uh, mind-boggling how how unlikely <laughs> all this is already. Um. But yeah, so you receive the visit of this little kind of, uh, th this robot. In the future, everyone has this, basically a little robot as their personal assistants who are constantly kind of connected to the web and like they replace the iPhone, basically. And so you receive this visit. My creator has uh, disappeared and uh, I kind of went through his Rolodex and I thought that maybe you could help me find him because apparently you know this guy. So you embark on this adventure. You go with a robot trying to find this guy. So, yeah, so lots of things happen. Uh, people die. Um, you know, you're always, like, one step behind, like, trying to get clues and stuff. Like, people you talk to or you're about to talk to get thrown out of windows. The writing is particularly good. And the writing is what keeps me coming to this genre, point-and-click adventure games. Uh, I've never really played them for puzzles. I've never really played them for the story. Uh, mostly... What I really get a kick out of playing these games is like the throwaway text that you can find just about everywhere when you, you know, decide to talk to a plant or you, you know, touch something or look at an object that you have no business looking at. And they, they have kind of this jokey, witty or stupid, you know, line to throw at you. Uh, for instance, like the, the set, the, the game is set near uh, Christmas, so at some point you see a Christmas tree and you decide to touch the Christmas tree. Well, it just tells you, you know, like pure Christmas spirit flows through you momentarily. It's 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 very cute, you know. And so you... is this a Christmas game in the same way Die Hard's a Christmas movie? Yeah, I suppose so. Sure, if you want nice. to look at it that way. Um, I choose to. And uh, yeah, like everyone is like, I don't know, really well written. And the little robot dude, Turing is uh really awesome like you see Boo. him for most yeah well you know so you see him for most of the game he's definitely the character that you interact with the most throughout the game he's he's your character's voice basically because the, the game is set in first person well you never see yourself so you know like he's kind of your your sidekick but he's also a lot of times speaking for you um and he's just one of the, the, the cutest little characters that I've ever seen. Just really well designed. His face is a globe. That's basically an emoji, but a really well done one. He's very expressive and, uh, and very cool. And, um, yeah, just like many point and click, modern point and click adventure games, there's not really a way to get a, a fail state or to just screw yourself over. There seems to be multiple paths because there, there's definitely, a lot of things that you can do in various ways. You know, you can either talk to these characters and help 
you know, convince them to help you. Or if you fail to do that, then you've got some other means, like you might ask someone else to hack into the system and do this other thing for you. Uh, at some point I had to, I had someone hack into the, 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 the traffic software for the city and I had to reroute these guys taxi, uh, basically to get them to come to a complete stop at the intersection I was at. So there was like this mini game where, you know, it was simple, but it was puzzly. And, uh, if you failed it, then yeah, you can count on these guys. But if you managed to do it, then yeah, that, that way was open to you. There's like branching ways to do things, just like there is in games like Life is Strange or Telltale's games and, and things like that. So uh, how how old is this game? Because I'm, I'm trying to remember when it came out. I think it came out in 2015, maybe. Uh, so yeah, maybe one or two years old at most. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's fairly recent. It is fairly recent, but it's, you know, it's pixel art. It's very snappy. Yeah, I just can't remember, I I can't remember if it was like 12 or, or more recent than that. So it could, it could have been influenced slash influenced some of the, these more recent adventure games as well. It's, uh, we're in that, we're in this weird phase where there's sort of a, there's definitely stuff that's been influenced by the Telltale stuff that's mm-hmm. come out now, but is now doing what they do, but not in the exact same way where everyone will always remember that. Um, like, like the people have really have taken that formula and evolved it beyond, you know, Telltale, where it was fe- really felt like they had this rigid framework and they were going to apply a story on top of it. Right. Well, and- Telltale, I don't think had that rigid of a framework because, from what I understand, there are less successful efforts before. Uh, the Walking Dead. Um, they they were kind of experimenting a little bit oh, more, oh, especially those were, with those their... were definitely different. Yeah, right. I, I mean, I mean, post Walking Dead era. Right. Yeah, I actually yeah, like their stuff. Formula. Yeah, I actually like their stuff from before that more um, because it do, it doesn't always succeed, but mm-hmm. it was definitely different. Yeah. Um, well, I appreciate I, I, that. Yeah, I, I did play Sam and Max the first season, and I think I played through season two as well, and I played it on the Wii. Um, oh no! Yeah, we'll we'll get back to that. But uh, I I like Telltale stuff. But once I got to The Walking Dead, I think I got to chapter three, and I I think I really didn't like the setting. I found the game kind of stupid. I I just I couldn't get over, you know, in the first chapter, your one of the puzzles is finding like a battery and then another battery because the the woman working on repairing the radio did not notice that. Yeah that thing needed batteries. Um, <laughs> so that was just dumb. But also I, I couldn't get over, people were praising Clementine as like this great character and I could just hear like the, the, the grown woman behind the mic, um, you know, yeah, voicing the, her. The, like, adults doing yes. kids' voices is a problem. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, so I, I did not get into it. But I don't know, read-only memories really does it for me. It's got good world building, you know, like the... The, the puzzles aren't that great, but as I said, that's not really what I'm playing uh, these games for. The, 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 di- the dialogue choices are always kind of like the, the first one is nice and the last one is you're, you're being an asshole. There's not really any ambiguity on that front. Like if you want to be an asshole, just click always like the last option. Usually when you pay attention to what a character does, like you can ask them like, oh, so, you know, like, what are you into? Like, you know, like you, you can get more details about kind of the history of this future place. Why are things the way they are in this uh, in this world? So yeah, like just go ahead and ask the otaku kind of cafe owner 
about her hobbies and she'll explain to you that you don't need to go to Akihabara anymore to get like girly figurines, but otakus still go yeah, there. Yeah, we have the internet. Thank you. Yeah, but also 3D printers, right? Like in the future, everyone has, the, has them, but you know, otakus still go there on pilgrimage almost, like because you know, it's a thing that they do. Um, I don't know. Like it, it was, it was really, I like this game, but, um, yeah, like I, I just, um, I tried playing the game using the steam controller and, uh, mm. it wasn't so good. You would think that with the touch pads that that thing has, it would work well, but might almost be too sensitive. If you leave your thumb on the touchpad and you press A to select something, just pressing the A, the pressure will move the controller, will move your thumb on the trackpad, and will make you miss. So, Ugh. yeah. So, thankfully, the, the game plays with a, a kind of a 360 controller, and it worked better that way. Just move the cursor with the, the, the stick. But that made me think of why... The, the Wii did not really uh, catch on as a, a point-and-click platform because that, that that was kind of my hope before the, the Wii came out. Like, I thought, oh, I'm going to play so many point-and-click adventure games on this thing. And people definitely tried. And they did. But I think that the the uh, input was one of the reasons why. Because, I as I said, I did play Sam and Max uh, on the Wii. And first, you know, I know Telltale Games has a reputation for rob- robust engines, uh, but it was really, <laughs> it was really struggling on the Wii. It skipped frames of animations, uh, animation a little bit too often, but also just like aiming and, and pointing and clicking with the Wii remote was not as comfortable as I would have thought it was. You always have, like, you have to keep your, your hand steady and then just like, the Steam controller, like when you press A, you have to make sure you're extra steady or else like, whoops, you know, your pointer is going to miss whatever you were pointing at. So that was disappointing. And then there's the fact that I think that developers were a little bit misguided and trying to sell us $50 remakes of 1996 games like Broken Sword on the Wii. Like people already back then probably were thinking, well, $50 is a lot of a lot of money for a game that's literally 10 years old. And uh, if you were going with the, the, the Wii Rare route, like the Strong Bad was also $50. If you wanted all five chapters, it was $10 per chapter. And you had no season pass, no price drops, and uh, limited storage space on the Wii. So it was just, I don't know, there were so many cons against uh, the Wii as a uh, point-and-click adventure game platform. But I'm, I'm hoping that you know, perhaps the the NX is going to be better. The Switch is going to be better just because of the touch screen. You know, like the, I think touch is more direct, and I I don't have similar kind of uh, reservations about the the uh, point and click adventure games that I've played on the DS. G- go through some of the examples you played on DS, just as a reminder. Well, I would count, you know, Phoenix Wright uh, as one, which it was built for. Uh, yeah. like that's the that's the big distinction. It was built for the D. Well, it was built for the Game Boy Advance. It was GBI, but, yeah, originally. Yeah, Japan. yeah, which is right. even more of a restrictive experience. And in fact, I play those games as you would. I almost never use the stylus except for the stylus mandatory stuff. Really? Uh, yeah, I I just use the D pad. Huh. I, I find that I have more I have more fidelity doing that than trying to like pixel hunt with the the touch screen. Well, maybe huh. now I, I'm I'm doubting myself. Did I even play with the touch screen? Um, well, I'm pretty sure well, that you can't play even, with the touch even, screen. Uh, you can't play with the D-pad in um, Touch Detective. 
And that worked well as well. Yeah, I mean, but even if you can, the fact that it still works well regardless of the of the control mechanism you're using proves your point that 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 it wasn't necessarily the control inputs that were holding the Wii back. It was maybe more the marketing decisions and the games that were being put to it that it just weren't suited for what the format was. Mm. Like I wouldn't want to play. Like I wouldn't want to buy Sam Max fifty dollars. I you know I had a a five dollar a month membership to Game Tap and played the entirety of Sam Max season one using that. Yeah, yeah, and for five bucks. And yeah, then I, I canceled my subscription to GameTap. Yeah, um, I did which the free is why trial. GameTap's not around anymore. Yeah, yeah, I ordered the free trial. Yeah, so it it didn't make sense from an economic standpoint. But some, but you're right. Some of the games they put on the Wii didn't make sense either, because they were games that, you know, good old games was around at this point, and DOSBox mm-hmm. is a thing. Yeah, and here's five dollars for this game, and I'll just run it on DOSBox, and everything's going to be great. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like right now, like I, I've got so I've, I've got a backlog of point-and-click adventure games. Uh, a thing that I got read-only memory through Humble Bundle uh, at the same time as her story, so I just got around to it, and uh, I paid you know what like five dollars for that bundle at most. Um, yeah, there's GOG. They keep giving me free games. Um, Origin keeps giving people free games. Like it's. Yeah, like the, you don't even have to pay to play a point-and-click adventure games a game now. But you know, maybe I, I want it on a portable. Maybe uh, if Nintendo doesn't put like isn't too restrictive uh, under their uh, whatever the eShop turns out to be on the uh, the Switch. Like I don't know, maybe there's a chance that I'll actually pay for these games, and uh, you know, then I have them on the go, and uh, I think it would be a great way to to experience them. Um, anyway, so that's, that's that part of my new business. Um, I've also got an, an update. I've kept playing Paper Mario Color Splash. And, uh, I said last time I talked about it that I reserved the right to, you know, call out, uh, BS once I got to it. And, uh, I got to some BS parts. And, uh, as, <laughs> as I knew that I would. Speak truth to power. Go on. I just like that he worded it as if, like, yes, I'm still playing it. Well, I am, I because it is still a charming game. It is so freaking funny. You're at an excavation site. They're they're uh, digging up a, a big fossil, a dragon fossil. I'm sure I'm going to have to fight that thing at some point. But uh, they warned me this area is for a, a soft hat zone. Uh, you can only come here if you've got like a soft, mushy hat. And uh, it's just, I don't know, that kind of stuff is cute. Um, the, the music is really good. There's a lot of fan service. At some point, you, uh, you, you do something for a toad and you cheer him up and you get, need to get an item for him. So once you, you do everything and you get the item, uh, you hear like the, the toad house music from Super Mario 3, which I think, you know, is kind of amazing. When you get a, a one of the, the color, the, the, the paint stars that you're looking for, uh, you get a little scene where you hear the, the music from Mario 3 that plays out when you get the wand and you fall from, you know, the, the airships and, and fall back to, uh, you know, the king's room. So it's just, it's really nice. It really does make a really good use of the Mario franchise. And I think that that stuff, like the, the way, like the graphics are so good, the way that the paper actually looks like paper, this, you know, stuff looks like cardboard, it really elevates the game in the same way that the, the yarn 
uh, elevated Kirby's Epic Yarn and Yoshi's Willow World. Uh, but unfortunately, I, I just, I don't understand, like, intelligent systems is not really evolving in other areas where they should know better. So is there any face-touching minigame? There is no face-touching minigame. Damn it, they should know better! But I remember, so I've always kind of been sour on Thousand Year Door. Uh, send your emails, too. <laughs> well, just because, you know, the, the last boss... Uh, had such a long kind of dialogue scene before it and long cutscene that you had to go through every time. And chances were high that you were going to die against a boss. And every time you died, you had to reload your save. You oh, had to go through no. the dialogue all over again. And I think that's one of the reasons why when I think of Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, I am just like, yeah, I, I did not care that much for that game. Even though probably up to that point, I, I thought it was pretty good. Um this game, Color Splash, is, is not quite that bad, but they still haven't learned to give you a retry at the game over screen. So you die, game over screen, that lingers for like 10 seconds, then you can go to the title screen, then you can load up your save, takes a, a few seconds to load up. Then once you have loaded up your save, you do have to go through all the steps that you went through before you can initiate the battle or the, the sequence the that killed you. Least? Uh, in some cases, but not in all of them. When the videos are long enough, you can skip them. You press uh, L, and that skips them, and that's good. But th there are many more scenes where they thought, well, this isn't that long, so they don't give you the option. But that that those are the ones that great. Even Etrian Odyssey has quick retries. Even Shin Megami Tensei has quick retries. So I think like when hardcore Atlas RPGs uh, have retry, you know, when you uh, at the game over screen, and Nintendo's own games don't. Like I think someone messed up somewhere. You know, it doesn't have quick retries. What Fire Emblem? You have to reset the whole stupid game. Uh but even even the latest ones. Yeah, LR start select boy. Ah, uh, okay. But at least they give you options to make the game super easy. And, they do, uh, they do. But like seriously, there's no, there's no, just quit the battle and start over, really. Yeah. Anyway, <sighs> like it, it's just it's there's some bad design here, and there there have been scenes that are just kind of like really really stupid. Like uh, there's a Coliseum fight before you can go battle the boss. Um, you you have to go through a pre-screening. So this this uh, shy guy tells you like he makes a lot of uh, bone puns, and that tells you that the mm. bone item. No, it's an item. You just saw an item. You just solved something sure with a is. bone um, just earlier. So, like, you know what he's talking about. Okay, I'm going to need the bone card for this boss battle. <laughs> mm. So, you exit. You go to, like, an area where you found it. They, they don't have it. You go to two other areas where it would be possible to, to get this item. But no, no, that's not it. What you needed to do was to go start the battle anyway get to a point where you, you can't hit the, the boss anymore. He keeps dodging you. And so you have to flee the battle. You get bones, is what you're saying? And, well, yeah, I suppose. And then you have to go through kind of a maze and you eventually find the item you need. But And that stuff is not telegraphed. So it's just... And if you die during the battle, the unwinnable boss battle, well, guess what? Like, you're going to have to go through it again. You're going to have to load up your save. And it's just, there's so much frustration baked into this game. I don't know. I wish intelligent systems would do better. 
Like, Nintendo has gone on record saying, like, that they were concerned that people don't finish their games enough. It's like they threw up their hands and they were like, well, that's a puzzle we're never going to solve. Alternately, they said, not enough percentage of our players finish their games. Let's make it so everyone doesn't finish our games. And they all have the same experience. Yeah. I don't know. But despite that, I'm I'm still playing because the it's the world is so damn good. All right, well, I'm gonna round out new business this week. So first off, I'm gonna start with some Nintendo, which has been a while for me actually. I've been I've been pretty pretty on point. Um, I got a PS4 Pro on Black Friday. Didn't have to leave my house. I got it from the comfort of my own bed on my phone for three hundred and thirty dollars, <laughs> which is quite a bit under 60 ish under retail um and then proceeded to buy six games from best buy for like 120 bucks total because commercialism is great Mm. for like one week of the year and you get all (laughs) all the stuff cheap before it goes back on regular price so I uh I've only really gotten so into. It's a, wait a minute, I mean, I, I'm guessing only because of the devaluation of the pound, all of that is worth more than my half price shovel might me by. Probably, yeah. It's, Otherwise, it's probably worth a little yeah, bit. I mean, if this was pre-referendum, I think my shovel might me by would have contended with that. Yeah, I, I would. I think even if you count the games at the the Best Buy rewards price, I saved about a hundred something dollars. But like. <laughs> Like, I'll take it because I needed to get one of these systems anyway, and I just bypassed the whole dumb upgrade cycle and went straight to a pro. So, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, you, you got, uh, have you got a TV with HDR or whatever you, uh, uh HDR, yeah, yes, but it's, it's, there's all kinds of fun challenges setting this, setting this thing up. I will say that I went through the adventure of, I didn't have enough ports on my TV before to deal with the, the PlayStation TV. Which I've owned for about a year now, um, so I went through the process of putting a switcher on and all that good stuff. That takes forever to completely rip your entire AV system down and well, rebuild I, it. I keep finding ways to like avoid doing that, but it's probably gonna have to happen one day. I, I, I live, hit, I, I live hit, in fear of it. <laughs> I hit bottom. I hit the point where it was like, "That's it. I can't. I can't fix this anymore. It's gotta happen." <laughs> I can't save everyone, right? So I ended up having to buy this small, like, end table that's sitting next to my AV setup, which happens to, to look good next to it. That's holding the 360 and the, the PS3. And cause I, like everything was, was out. I was out of plugs. I was out of HDMI ports. I was out of places to put systems. Like, things had, things had degraded to the point where something had to give. Um, I, I have more systems attached to it now, but I have less cable back there because I did all kinds of like bundling and and like zip ties and and it was just a, an unpleasant nightmare to go back there and move something and everything was going to fall. Now everything is bundled so it's not going to fall. It's it's nice and easy to get stuff in and out. And then I made one fatal mistake. I bought a three-port switcher and realized that when switch comes, I'm short one HDMI port again. Mm-hmm. Son of a bitch. So, there'll probably be another switcher added. So, if I bought a four port well, switcher, least, I'd have been least, done. At least with Switch, though, you can't always use it, you know, anyway. Yeah, True. You know what but I mean? Like, like, I it's a nice been... thing. It's, I find that with Wii U to some extent. Obviously, there's games where you can't just do it off TV, but right. it's kind of nice sometimes to just have something that, you know, say, for instance, if I want to 
mess around with different systems like you know before i got the xbox one sometimes it was like i'd pick between ps3 and the 360 you got for me kind of thing like i could just leave the wii u unplugged for a while because you could still use it (laughs) yeah it's just it's just a thought that i didn't like i miscounted by one on both plugs and hdmi ports and shit i'm gonna have to go back there again (laughs) it's not done for the next decade that right See, the beauty of it is when, when I do finally make the move on the Xbox One, which I don't need it right now. There's nothing, there's nothing screaming to me I have to have it. it. It can fully replace the 360 at this point because almost all the 360 games I own are, are BC at this point. So It's impressive. The th- uh, the, the, the amount, what's really impressive to me about the backwards compatibility program is not just sort of the, the, the retail games, but the digital games. You know, like right. They just did uh, the Guardian Heroes port just yep. got backwards compatible. I think I think they just crossed the 300 mark on number of BC games which is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um but so right now with the exception of Xbox One games I can play everything that came out since 2001 except for a handful of Xbox original games that never got the BC treatment. Um it was it's only going to be ones that are exclusive that didn't come out on the PS2. So it's a pretty small number. Um and some really late Dreamcast games. <laughs> because there's a couple, there's That's a couple really ones. Late, that, right? If you stipulate in 2001, like right. the system was dead before think, that. Yes, yeah, so I think there's some. In, maybe maybe we'll go 2000 because it's a it's a fully BC PlayStation 3. It's, it's the one that does everything. So yeah, I have all no, the PS2 that's, games that's, covered. That's a useful thing to have for historical so, purposes. Like I'm I'm in a good place right now, so I feel pretty good. And then Switch is going to come out in a few months. So I'm going to get back there again. But anyway, I've only played a little bit of. Um, Mordor, I say a little bit, but like nine hours, ten hours. Uh, Shadow of Mordor, I'm not gonna talk about it very much because that game's already out and been out forever and it's yeah, old. Man. All I'm gonna say about it is that a game that would otherwise be just a, a relatively mundane open world kill em all, Peter, um, climb through all the stupid shit and then find stuff on the field and nothing, like just nothing to do. It's, or there's, there's stuff to do, but it's just, it's just the same old shit you do in, in open world games is made infinitely more tolerable by the nemesis system like seeing it seeing it as somebody who's played these games and just gone like okay i know go collect the doodads go i find myself actively avoiding this game's missions because they're already tedious (laughs) i was like well i have to advance the plot at some point so let's go do that and that's like a chore just so i can get back to not playing the main game uh, at one point, I had hunted down so many of the captains, there just weren't captains to hunt down anymore. And I'm like, well, I guess I better advance the story a little bit so I get more people to, to go shank. Um, but there's something really gratifying about that in that you develop a relationship with your opponents. And it's not so much just killing captains. I mean, that's that's fine, but I, I'm so strong at this point and I've wiped out all the strong ones that they're all just they're cannon fodder. It's establishing what would normally just be an enemy and establishing like an actual relationship with them. Um, there's this one that I can't remember his name, but he's called like the Kingslayer. I killed him. Or he got me once really early in my playthrough. And then I've been hunting him down over and over and over again. So I've probably killed him, killed him in quotes like seven times. And he just keeps coming back. And, like, I'll just be running around a corner, and then I'll go, Well, hello again, Ranger! And, like, oh, fuck, you're alive? God damn it! 
And like at this point, I'm not even mad about it. I'm just kind of amused. I'm like, oh, he's back. And you see like all the scars I've left on him every time I just I just beat the crap out of him. This scar's yours, Ranger. Now it's your turn. I'm like, oh God, again? Um, I was chasing uh, the war chiefs, which are like the really strong captains. And I was chasing one who was trying to run away. And I'm like, no, you're not getting away. I'm not redoing this fucking mission. And like, I turn a corner. This time you're mine. Right? Oh God, no. Like, I just, it, it's gotten really personal with this one guy. And I think, okay, this time I've got him, right? No, there he is again. I'm relatively confident that I will go to the final boss and he'll pop up and I'll have to kill him again. But at this point, it's so trivial. Like, he's so nothing. He's fucking nothing. But I just, seeing him again and again has gone from being scary because I was legitimately frightened of him at first to, like, exciting to annoying to funny to the point where I'm now kind of excited every time I see him. Oh, it's like, hey, hey, buddy, you're back. Whereas there's just this endless cavalcade of like level two captains that I'm just massacring as as the forces of Sauron keep having to repopulate their lines after I go and cause all kinds of chaos. Like there's something about seeing like, oh man, there's like nine new captains. I should go hunt down intel on them and murder them. But there'll be moments where like you're chasing one. Like I hopped on these these beasts that are basically they're they're non-canonical Tolkien characters. They're basically just saber two tigers. Um, I think they show up in the in the um the Hobbit prequels. I think that's probably where they came from. And um I just hop on one and I'm going after a guy who I know he's because the nemesis is when they have weaknesses, and one of them is that he's scared of these things. I'm like, well, I'm gonna go find one, I'm gonna show up, and he's gonna have a bad day. And I like turn the corner and I just pounce on him and kill him instantly only to find that there's like five of them I didn't know about like having a meeting. And I'm like, oh, oh, this is going to get real. This is going to get real rough. And I'm like, I'm in the middle of a base. So alarms are going off and I'm like, I should probably just go. I'll see y'all later. And then it just turns into this like 25 minute chase scene where like I'll escape for a little bit and then drop on one of them and kill him. And I wiped out basically half of his captains in one in like one extended sequence. And that's really fun. And if they weren't here, if there weren't captains that make this worth doing, that entire sequence would be completely boring. Like that, the game would be boring. The game would just be go collect doodads and then put them in the, put them in their grog to poison them. Like some of the writing is funny, some of the things are amusing, but more or less, it would just be kind of a dull game. And so its presence there makes this game work, which makes it really sad that the PS3 360 versions didn't have the Nemesis system, which means those games would have sucked. Um, but it, there, that's that's kind of the thing. Like, a well-developed enemy, even if the enemy is auto-generated by the game, you know, they have characteristics, they have personalities. Um, sometimes some of them just get lucky and get the better of you over and over again, and you really just hate them at that point. You're like, I want this guy dead. Like, you know, he didn't do anything that makes him better. You know, he's getting stronger as a consequence of beating you, but he, he didn't win. Like, just bad luck. You're like, well, no, he's got to go. And that's way more compelling than, than defeating the forces of Sauron. I'm like, whatever. He can, yeah, great. He's, yeah, he's a bad dude, whatever. This guy managed to catch me by accident as I was escaping a battle. He needs to die. I don't know. It just, it, it works. It works differently because it motivates you on a, on a pride level versus on a, well, I just need to advance the story. So, 
Um, I suspect I'll play a little bit tonight, and I will probably kill the Kingslayer like five more times, and then I'll see him tomorrow. So that's fun. I have a friend in this game. Um, I also want to talk about one of my import games. I, get, I mean, it is an import game in that I am the importer, I suppose. Uh, I One of the games I got was Game Center CX, which um, retro game was a retro game challenge. Yep. Yep. Uh, for the DS in the in the West that came out thanks to Xseed. Um, this is the sequel to that game that we did not get in the West. So I'll give the the 30-second version of this game's history because uh, I gave it when we talked about this game the first time. It is based on a TV show of the same name, Game Center CX, in which a Japanese comedian by the name of Arno um, basically pretends to be the boss or the department boss at a company it's it's all really vague what the company does and he plays video games from i guess now they've they've gone all the way up to the PlayStation era um and it's basically a variety show where the the bulk of the show is him effectively it's like a let's play where he has a challenge to do something in this game um in like a 12 hour window and he has to complete it. And then there's some other segments where they talk about like a month where like what games came out in that month. So it'll be like Final Fantasy 2. And they'll talk about the game a little bit. And then some basically tour guides of Japanese arcades. Uh, the, the show really only works because he's he's better at games than he says he is. But he's still not like great at them. So he struggles with them <laughs> a bit. He's kind of got a short temper with this stuff. And he's got a really biting sense of humor that often comes out at the expense of his support staff. Um... So basically it works because he's funny and I've watched a lot of the episodes of this, you know, they're subtitled on the internet. They're pretty good. Um, he's done a lot of promotional stuff with Nintendo, which is always kind of amusing, but these games are basically based on the childhood him who played a lot of these Famicom era games. And you just see games like basically you play as a child at his friend's house as games are coming out and you unlock games by clearing challenges issued by game master Arino, which is this weird, like Tron head of him. <laughs> right. And but, basic, but you're, you're not necessarily playing the full games as they come out. No. Logically, right. Like the, you, you have, uh, you'll have a Galaga clone and you have to get to this many points and then, uh, okay, now your challenge is get to level three or something. Well, uh, so, uh, it's it the games the games are coming out sequentially because basically sure. it's like time is advancing. So the game this one starts in October of 1985. So you're you're playing what is effectively a Pac-Man clone is the first game, and yeah, you'll get like a couple challenges, and then when you clear those challenges, so for example, the first challenge in the game is kill two enemies at the same time. So it's a Pac-Man game where you can kill enemies, but it's not like you eat them. Basically, you pick up wands, and then you get, the power pellets are essentially casts. And there's like a blue wand and a red wand. And some enemies are vulnerable to the blue wand, some are vulnerable to the red wand. You can only pick up the pellets that are the color of the wand you're holding. And when you get you get like casting spells from the power pellets. So the, the, the challenge is kill two with one with one strike of the wand. And that's really hard because you have to kind of try to lure them together. And it's, that's tricky. Mm. Um, the second challenge is basically do the level skip cheat on this one level on level 11. So it explains how to do the level skip cheat. Um, and it says a level 11, you need to do it. I, uh, I, that one took some truth, some get some doing the challenge, of course, pun not intended is that, the the text of the challenge is in Japanese, so 
you either need to find a fact where someone has written out what the challenges are and how to accomplish them, or you need to lean heavily on Google Translate. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Has Google Translate improved a lot over the years? Because it was squarely Google... the when I did this years and years ago, I did speak about it on RFN as I was on it the first time when I right. played this. Um, uh, the fact was was the only option really. So, <laughs> that I so being viable. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about this in one of our emails following up. But Google Google Translate on the phone has gotten a lot better at text recognizing pictures and having more text gives it more context so it does a better job um because it, it's heavily google translate is heavily done by essentially context it looks at the context and looks at the characters and says okay i believe in this context this text most likely says x and so if you give it a very small chunk of text it's it's going to struggle with it because it's not going to be able to establish you know, it's not saying like I understand. It's not like when you read a word in context where you say like, "Oh, I can infer the meaning." Google is essentially comparing blocks of text, and it's I've seen this phrase put together before. I know what it. Therefore, I know what it means. Mm-hmm. So, giving it more text usually helps. And so, you can actually just take a picture of the challenge and just scan it, and it'll say, "Oh, this is what it says," and it does a pretty good job with that. Uh, my Japanese vocabulary is just not to the point where I can read these things and say, ah, oh, I know what it's asking me to do. Like I got through the first one because really it was pretty straightforward. Um, number two, where it was explaining how to do the level skip cheat. Uh-uh. Like that wasn't, that wasn't going to happen. That right. wasn't going to happen until, unless I had Google tell me what that piece of text where it's describing the order to pick up gemstones is. Right. I'm and a, th- th- a, that's one of the things about the game too. It's not just giving you games to play. It's also kind of trying to replicate the experience of growing up in the early nineties playing video right. games. And so like you've got magazines, you know, hyping yeah. up the next game that you, you haven't got yet, but also Absolutely. like there's a cheats section that you can look up and use the cheats in your game. Yep, yeah, and, and this is actually good enough at translating it that I can get some of that out. Um, the dialogue conversations you have with the buddy whose friend, whose house you're at. Um, I've done some of that. Some of the, um, the game master Arido's where he's taunting you. I've done some of that just to kind of read it because some of that writing was actually really funny in the original game. Uh, because yeah. he, he gets, he gets very upset when you clear a challenge and then basically just says, well, you're not going to clear this next challenge. And then you clear the next cleared anyway but i'm bummed this game didn't get a, get a localization treatment it's it's challenging because the game didn't have it probably has it more now because i think that the game center cx has become somewhat more known on the internet but it didn't really have the brand to lean on and yeah it also probably still had to pay the likeness fee anyway because that's still arno's face in the game, like they, brother still got paid. I mean, there was a lot, obviously, a lot of localization that went into the first one, even, right? You know, because of yeah, a lot of the games are pretty simple because they're emulating, you know, they're, they're faux retro games. You know, they're not, right. they're not exactly they're, the same games, but they're sort of going for equivalents of things like Pac-Man and you know, right? But but they like, usually have like one feature that nobody would have thought to put in those games in that era. Yeah, like, that, I think that's fair. Yeah, so they kind of they. Can can be a little bit more interesting uh, in some cases, but not only did you have all that, but you had you know the sort of the Dragon Quest uh, clone right. part, Guardia Quest, which had you know sort of the relevant amount of text to kind of work with that, and then you had the approximating the magazine stuff, where it's like, well, let's get you know Western uh, journalists in there. 
like a bunch yeah. of one-up people were in there, weren't they? In the yep. you yeah, know, so. there's a reference to Dan Shu, except uh, I can't remember what they call him. Shoe, maybe uh, like uh, as a shoe or a boot or something. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a play on his name and all that. So yeah, they had to go and do what if, if you were going to do the same treatment for the second one, it would have been a lot of work again, and I don't think the sales necessarily of the first game bought that. No. But it's also complicated by the fact that the one of the games in this is a sort of Famicom Detective Club-style text adventure. Oh, yeah! So that would significantly complicate matters. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, That'll be yeah, a good like, time. So that was the one part where I literally had to have a fact tell me pretty much every button press. <laughs> you know, just, it's like this option you know this three out of four you know, options or whatever then this option then that option because it's it was just yeah i've got absolutely no japanese knowledge whatsoever so i you know that game was lost to me so, so i just played through as much of it as you have to to keep going down the timeline to get to the subsequent games and then it was gone whereas but everything else uh, even sort of the 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 Guardia Quest sequel and all this other stuff was was perfectly playable. I found yeah. once you, once you just knew what the requirements were. Yeah, it's it. You know, I've only got two two games unlocked so far. Um, and it's it. There, these games probably could have been released just as games on their own, and they, maybe that was the only hope for localizing part two. Like just just find a way to, to extricate the games from the yeah, kind of strip it overall. down into like a simple collection rather than the sort of or or, or even like scenario. rip them out solo and release them as DSIware or something. Yeah, oh well, yeah, it could have been like a series of games like art style is a series right. or you the know, game center uh, series or whatever they want to call it. is a series. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. But they didn't do that and that's a problem because you know, the, the, these are very these are very clever takes on games of a, of a specific time, like a very like a specific year, but done with just enough to kind of make them. If they had come out when that game came out, people people would be talking about that game now. Like this isn't this isn't Lock and Chase version of Pac Man. This is some this is quite different, um, you know, because the actual you know, the 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 almost Ikaruga style elements and all of the little secret stuff you could do by getting things in the right order. And the fact you can unlock like the orange wand, which, which kills everything and allows you to pick up everything and how you get that to show up. Cause there was a lot of weird esoteric stuff in, in old NES games. Like you have to pick up nine fruits in this order and then you'll get what you're trying to get. Uh, or then you'll unlock the special power or whatever. Um, and in fact, that comes up a lot in Game Center CX, the TV show, because a lot of times RNO will be struggling with it. And then his producer will go like, if you pick up nine apples in a row, you'll, <laughs> you'll unlock the stage skip. And then he'll yeah, and that's the where that's where like the whole uh, sort of ancillary kind of content of the magazines and all right. that is, is cool because it can actually you know, sort of build that into the meta game that information. So it kind of recreates it without actually being as obtuse. As games right. like that were back then, but it's it, in the same way. It's just like playing it back then. You have to go find it. You have to go look and see. Okay, how would I? How do I do this? Um, you know, it's it's basically like they're going to sell a subscription by giving you hints to games that it would be nigh impossible otherwise, like Mylon Secret Castle. Um, so it's a it's a e even though I'm struggling with the language barrier quite a bit. Um, because, you know, I am trying to, to piece it together on my own before just devolving into, let's just translate this. Um, 
I'm having a good time with it. I, I, I'll, I'll unlock everything. I don't think I'm going to grind this game out probably like I, the first one where I just sat there and just marathoned it because I was having such a good time. But so I'm right now I'm one for one on on import purchases. So let's <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens when I try to to uh, check out my lies in Kokoro scan. So. That's going to do it for new business this week. When we come back, we'll be having some listener mail that's topical. Stay tuned. It's time for listener mail. I didn't say, and we're back, because somebody said they're tired of me saying it, so I'm not going to say, and we're back, it's time for listener mail, because he told me he's tired of me saying, and we're back, it's time for listener mail. So I'm going to retire, and we're back, it's time for listener mail. Okay, I'm going to write in. Our first email, (laughs) Guillaume. Yes. You're not reading it, it's Greg. (laughs) (laughs) God, the mind games. Uh, Somnid writes, uh, greetings RFN crew, I was wondering about your thoughts on the latest rumours about Switch requiring an upgrade fee for virtual console titles. I know some people are understandably upset over the idea of buying something twice, even at a discount, but for me, I also understand that there are almost certainly marginal costs in both building the emulation platform and the licensing involved. These games have a natural sales saturation point, and so I feel if there isn't enough return, there's no incentive to upgrade and re-release these titles and we may slip back into the days of siloed compilations which work to highlight the best but also tend to miss the niche or obscure. What do you think? Would you plan to upgrade any, all or no VC games if this pans out? I mean, we're still in the dark days because there are a bunch of Wii games that aren't on Wii U. So, my, my, uh, I'm did Ogre Battle ever get moved to Wii U? No, not no. as far as I... It's weird, isn't it? We've talked about this before, the fact that you've got stuff like Excitebike 64 coming that wasn't on right. Wii. Mm. But then, yeah, you've got your Ogre Battle example on the flip side of that. Um, but that was more complicated in terms of, I guess, who sure. has the rights and stuff. <laughs> but like, in terms of licensing things, you know, the stuff that Nintendo just owns and there's no license like that, that's uh, not terribly complicated. And those are the things you expect to see. Yeah, time and time again. Right, but that's that does complicate things because it the the upgrade fee does, as he points out, give incentive to third parties to make the game available for the platform beyond just hey, potentially new people buying it. But it because, was also course, uh, apparently it's the the upgrade fee is too low for some companies like Square Enix uh, didn't bother at least not in North America. Uh, yeah. True. Yeah. I also mean, noticed with the t- the handful of Turbo Graphics games that we got um, for Wii U compared to the very expensive the selection that, that there was on Wii, um, wasn't the ex- upgrade fee considerably more? Was it like oh, yeah. half the price or something as opposed to uh, right. you know, the sort of dollar or dollar fifty or whatever it was with, with um, the Nintendo platform? So um, yeah, that 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 suggests that it, maybe they would have to be kind of flexible or maybe they could be more flexible in terms of rather than doing this by system by if game? They could, it, yeah if they could actually you know do it more in terms of you know who is publishing it and kind of reflect accordingly if that could actually get more 
niche games, as as uh, Somnid says, on the platform, I'd be open to that. A more flexible pro. I mean, it is Wii U has been more flexible, and and 3DS was more flexible in pricing structure than Wii was because that Absolutely. was extremely rigid. So apart from an import premium and then an RPG premium in Japan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they, they, they still Let- went with the rigid price for Wii games, though, which is weird. You know, they did. Trauma uh, Center costs twenty, just as Super Mario Galaxy costs twenty, just as like no, Pandora's Tower. And so, yeah, some of the some of those is like also just flies in the face of market realities in terms of like other M just came out in the states. You could get that dirt cheap, uh, you know, uh, in a lot of places as a disc. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, in some cases, that 20 bucks doesn't seem like a terrible deal. Trauma Team. To, to Trauma actually, Team, that yeah, seems to like games a... that had a limited print run or something like that. So, again, I feel like more flexibility would be a good thing. But, you know, that's a general point. In terms of the upgrade thing, like I said, you know, I kind of feel like that's probably the best we can hope for. Considering, like, 3DS if... didn't even have that. And the new 3DS games didn't even have If it have lubricates a... the wheels to get the games out then okay i'll deal yeah maybe that's like so. maybe yeah maybe that's why people are asking for a subscription service it would be beneficial for nintendo because they would keep you know money would keep coming in presumably but also but, people uh, wouldn't it, have to pay these upgrade fees and or whatever they just have to I, keep their subscription but as we discussed already would people keep a subscription to play mario well, yeah, and how do you divvy up the money to the third parties and, and figure all that? It would be difficult. I mean, granted, like things like Netflix have solved it by just saying we're going to buy the rights to show this program, but but also like, that's, stuff that's comes all in they and out. do, right? Yeah, and stuff goes in and out, and that's all they do. Like that's their whole business model for Nintendo. This is a sub business of a sub business. Yeah. yeah. The the other question I've got is: Let's say a game came out on the Wii. We'll use Ogreball sixty four just as our example because we've already mentioned it but didn't come out on Wii U. I assume I'm going to have to buy that full price because it's not on anything with a My Nintendo account right now. Yeah, it's so that's the-, the thing. I mean, because that's an interesting point that, about the upgrade process that would be fundamentally different, we must assume, on right, Switch. because it's it not was. on the console. Like, yeah, I had to move that, it to my Wii point. U first. With, with Wii, uh, Wii U, you know, to tell your Wii U that you had the rights to those games, you had to essentially do a system transfer of your Wii data to the Wii U and then play those games in the sort of Wii mode uh, later on, which uh, especially initially like didn't really let you do anything with the gamepad with those games. Latterly, right. you could at least look at them on the gamepad. You still had to use a separate controller. Um, but you know the point is there that you had to make a decision to port over like every game to your Wii U, which you know, became clear was not necessarily like something you'd want to do because it involved certain performance sacrifices because the way that Wii U outputs video is different from the way Wii right. did it. So it could introduce sort of elements of lag and stuff that weren't there on Wii where the emulation quality was really it good. Also, it also just sucked to do. It took over an hour for me. Like It was slow and painful. Yeah, yeah. All the, so uh, that's the thing. Being presumably need to, if there if this upgrade model is being brought back, which I said you could have had an upgrade model for buying uh, Super Nintendo games on new 3DSs right. using the Nintendo Network ID. They've chosen not to. So like, I'm not 
taking this for granted, even though now we do have some these reports that Somnid references that you know seem like they could be credible. Um, but yeah, if it's Nintendo Network uh, ID based upgrade fees, then you know you can do it on a. You don't have to make a decision about like, do I want to migrate everything over? Like you could just do it on a game by game basis. Um, you know, kind of thing. So, it's, so I feel like that that uh, straight away is much more kind of appealing, whatever I do, the actual price of the upgrading is. I, I do have one piece of information that may have some value going forward, though, uh, with respect to Nintendo's future plans. Um, in an, so we'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit, but uh, Shigeru Miyamoto is in the U.S. doing a media tour for Super Mario Run, which comes out soon. Um, he did a, he did an appearance with Reggie Fils-Aimé and Bill Trennan on uh, the Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show yesterday, as of recording. Um, he he they did a bunch of interviews, like really short, you know, interviews well, with whirlwind press tour. <laughs> yeah, with with outlets. I think it may have been like a, a single location, and the press was lit like. Like they were given audiences, and they may have actually watched the other groups. I mean, it was pretty, it was pretty, you know, quick stuff. Um, but the Mashable one, you know, the journalistic, you know, pillars they are, managed to get one piece of information out of him, which appears they were asked, you know, why Mario Run is is always online required, um, and if it has any integration with Switch. And the answer he got basically mentions, or the answer he gave them basically says Switch has cloud saves, which is, of course, a, a pretty significant deviation from Nintendo historically. Yeah. But yep. that might mean that licenses for portable or for virtual console games are stored out there. It may also mean if this is the Nintendo platform going forward, subsequent systems may still just play the same games, which would be great because that means they wouldn't even have the ability to sell you these licenses again because you've already bought it. But we'll see. Yeah, um, yeah. Like, so you're hoping all those things kind of, you know, come to a close. But that, that's, you know, so you've got that flexibility. And, you know, with this upgrade business for me, I see if I've got the flexibility, you know, to think, well, well, you know, I'll upgrade this one, not that one. It opens things up a lot more. I mean, the question, though, there's still a lot of sort of components that we don't know about, like in terms of the emulation quality. You know, like, right. for instance, I mean, you know, you look at what happened with Wii U, it was very patchy, really. You know, NES was was not very good at all. Um, GBA was great. Obviously, we didn't have like another G. That was the, the first time we really had GBA emulation because the Ambassador games were kind of weird, um, reaching back through multiple stages of hardware backwards compatibility uh, thing, and they were never sold commercially anyway on 3DS. Right. Um, it does but- sound like it was. It, it does sound like based on these same rumors that the the team that made uh the NES mini classic edition or whatever the hell thing's called yeah. uh uh Nintendo European Research Development is doing the virtual console for this which is a which is different well yeah, uh, I mean specific, yeah I mean I'm cuz obviously another rumor outside of this yeah but to do with virtual console is GameCube games I don't know it's specifically right. they're being talked about as doing GameCube games I don't know whether necessarily it would be other because pla- as we've seen on Wii U You've had different t- different developers doing different platforms. Like, I believe that European group did DS on Wii U, but it of seems course, to work. 
the GBA was M2, as we referenced previously. So right. Maybe mm. it's going to be different platforms, different, and they're just doing the, the GameCube stuff. But yeah, I mean, people, I haven't played one, but people generally seem to think it's, you know, it, it certainly compares favorable with the uh, Wii U Virtual Console, the NES Classic Mini. So that's yep. maybe a little bit encouraging. But yeah, the proof, yeah I would want to see how good some of this stuff is, you know, how good it's going to look on switch and run and, and lag and all this kind of stuff before i make a decision on some of these because there's uh, yeah, all different styles of games have different issues with them you know i mean for instance something like punch out is going to be a hell of a lot more lag yeah sensitive that's super important than an rpg you know uh, also rpgs you're going to value the port the true portability a lot more than you might for other games you know mm-hmm. so that yeah there's a lot of factors here that i'm not sure about in terms of you know where it go i mean i probably would have bought a lot more nes games on wii u if the emulation wasn't as kind of underwhelming as it is um yeah for instance and i would have bought a lot more nes games on 3ds if that was because that is not good on no, 3ds i mean the super nes with the original resolution all that is much much better um, you know, uh, but obviously he's kind of pricey because there's no upgrade option with that. Right. Even if you mm-hmm. have bought the games before. So that's the thing. I mean, if you've got, you know, top quality emulation, you've got proper portability, hopefully, like, there's nothing about the Joy-Cons, the stuff that, you know, could create uh, lag issues with the control. Because yeah, that's one of the nice things about 3DS is because the controls built into the hardware, you don't have lag issues owing to the fact that the controllers are wireless, like you right. do with Wii U. Um, so yeah, there's loads of different factors that's going to make me wonder. You know, will I upgrade a given game or not? But uh, we we don't know all of them yet. So, so real quick to wrap this question up, since we 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 only really touched on the other rumors. Um, do you, I know? I know I'm putting you guys on the spot. Don't care. Um, what's what's one GameCube game that Nintendo owns? At least there's a chance we'll get it. That that you would want to see on this thing, excepting of course that some of the big ones are just going to happen. Oh yeah, <laughs> we, they already talked about Sunshine and Luigi's Mansion, right? And, you know, all that. So yeah, you you could take those as given. Me, I would be interested in GameCube RPGs. I didn't really play many on the system you know at the time there weren't that many on the system of course but there were some and the the switch being portable i think would be a good chance to sort of try them out so you got the bat and kaitos games ah I damn that's is, where i was gonna go is there you know, well, I've never, the, you've played them i haven't played yeah, because nintendo them. actually owns the second one they they published that game um, yeah yeah Origins. i guess that was just before they actually bought monolith right right that was the i guess that was the trial run um and of course they paid for the first one so, so you but, would think that wouldn't be terribly complicated. Like I said, I think those. I mean, you know, whether we can expect it to happen, like is is tough to answer because it's like how far down the GameCube rabbit hole right. do they have to go before we get? But that's one I would like. Also, you got the first of the Radiant uh, games in the Fire Emblem series is on GameCube, yep. um, and both of those are pretty pricey as as discs to my yeah, knowledge. Yeah, the Wii one is the Wii one is ridiculous. Yeah, the Wii one's, one's ridiculous. Re- they haven't done that right on on Wii. 
No, uh, they the, haven't. On the, the Wii service through Wii U. Like, that is one they of the not. ones when they first started doing it. I was like, yeah, 20 bucks would be a damn bargain. I'll finally get to play that game. <laughs> For that game. And, and they have, yeah, but Other M, which you can get for a few quid anywhere for the past six years. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that up. But, you know, and I like Other M. Like, I'm it not one of these just, people it, that hate it. It must just but... be a matter that it works. Like, that, it must be something as brain dead simple as that. It just works right. And they're just like, well, I mean, we, uh, yeah, it wasn't uh, exactly mm. a huge commercial sensation of the red, whereas Fire Emblem has built up its sort of market right. cachet it, in it the mu- intervening years. So it really is difficult to identify the rhyme and reason behind yeah. these things we've talked about. So, so for me, it would be, and I'm, I'm trying to limit myself to a game that they that they nominally own the rights to. It would be something like Cubivore. Where, you know, they didn't own the rights in the West, but that game was actually limited to fairly limited numbers. I mean, it's their game, right? So they have the, they could do what they want. Mm. Um, I just didn't get to play it because it was, it was too weird. Like when it came out, I was like, that's, that's too weird. And as I've gotten, <laughs> if I, as I've gotten older, like the, the barometer for too weird has become dramatically broken. It, it would seem so, yes. Yeah. So like that game would do, you know, like at this point, that's a game I want to play, but it's, it's not cheap. Like it's an expensive game now. Yeah, and well, that's the case off- for a lot of GameCube games. GameCube games have hit that period where they're getting very expensive. And, they're well, getting and more they expensive. haven't had the same kind of digital, you know, kind right. of uh, re-releases that other platforms have enjoyed. But, which, it's yeah. not all that goes into But in your RPG valuation. space, Skies of Arcadia would be would be good to get my hands on again. Not that I haven't played it a dozen times. Or, <laughs> um, God, I'm going to say this and I'm going to feel really sick after I say it. Evolution Worlds. Oh, God. Oh, oh. All right, Guillaume, what do you got? Um, well, I do have a lot of... Um, I, I actually have been kind of collecting a little bit of uh, GameCube games, so I have the Baton Kaitos games here. I just need to start playing them. But also, for, for most of the GameCube's life, I own the GameCube and nothing right. else. So I, I, I've kind of played most of what I wanted to play. Uh, mm. I've bought and then sold, you know, everything that I wanted to play. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not dissimilar for me in that regard, but the RPGs are the one gap, I would say. Yeah, but I, 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 I did have, like, for whatever reason, like, I skipped a few, like, key titles, like uh, Mario Kart Double Dash is one that mm. I would probably grab, and it, that's kind of expensive right now, it's at least, like, 40, 50 bucks. And uh, maybe some of the early stuff because I didn't buy it. I didn't buy the cube at launch, so I kind of, you know, didn't really pay attention to stuff like uh, Wave Race. So I, oh, I might want to check that yeah, out. Yeah, that's one. That's one. Uh, certainly, the Japanese version of that has been floating around dirt cheap for ages. Um, right. You know, oh yeah, I saw about a hundred copies of it when I was in Japan. Uh, yeah, but I mean, there's a few. Kirby's Air Ride is mysteriously expensive. It is, and yeah. uh, um, you know, again, like that was something that seemed too simple, too kind of frivolous for a full price purchase back in the day. But yeah. now, and the market know, sure think- has showed you now. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. Yeah, there's people who who don't consider it nearly that frivolous. <laughs> this is the game that that Carly refers to as press A to not win because A is the break, but sometimes still press A because like it's when you describe that game, it's oh, it's a racing game where if you press no buttons, you go. What? Well, it's you have to slow down sometimes. What? Yeah, well, I do have. I did try to play it. It's I don't know. I find it more complicated than the. It is, it is more complicated. It's. Just, it's, it's just like, an incredibly hard video, sell. But there's like Kirby powers involved, you know. So it's, yeah, it's not. But there's like also as... different rides involved, and it seems like the ride really affects there, 
you know, depending on the, the, the track that you're on, like it really affects your performance. Right. So, oh, there, there, there is more to that game. But when you describe it to like me when I was buying games and I didn't have a job yet, it's like you, you the game is you, you break. No thanks. I'm going to spend my money on something else. Yeah, back in those days, IGN was a big uh, influence on my purchases, for better or worse. So, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's... <laughs> Oh, well, you know, well, you missed double dash. <laughs> Obviously, you had an 8.0 threshold for purchases back then, evidently. Yeah, but I was oh. also not a fan of Mario Kart 64, as I said uh, last ah, episode. I yeah. just... Ah, rubber band AI. But mm, there's... Sure. But that, I mean, GameCube Virtual Console be great. Things like Gradius, not Gradius. I'm sorry. Um, what, what was that LucasArts game? That's that is is another Latin sounding. Oh, with a G. It, it, well, no, it is. Pretty, but, it's yeah, it's a ba- but that is what Gradius is meant to be. Like that is a classic tra- uh, Japanese, you know, mis 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 Romanization. It's, it was Gradius was meant to be Gladius because the Vic Viper resembles a short sword. That's that's the whole. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like that that's a game I always wanted to play but just never got around to it and it'd be cool to see it now and, and you know. that's that's even a game that I played back in the day and and then there got rid go. of. I yeah, yeah, you you got a lot of this stuff. But you know, I mean for for me there's a few others that you know are not as expensive as Kirby's Air Ride but they're games in in series that you know, I'd like to go back to even if they don't have the most sterling reputation. You got Star Fox Adventures and Star Fox Assault. No, you've got yes. uh, you know, so, for instance, which the answer to those, those questions are no and yes. By the way, <laughs> I- I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now. If both come out, you only need to buy the second. I like one. and and you know. Uh, uh, what was it called? Rebel Strike, you know the third yep. Rogue Squadron game. Get mm. you know apparently the on foot stuff garbage, but yep. I, I would still <laughs> like to play it uh, if you, for the right price. It's curious, it's, and it's got it's got co op for the entire two. Just so. the second one, yeah. So you know, I mean, I I I, I guess people have different views on on how much they enjoyed the GameCube generation or whatever, but I think it's. Uh, it would be great, um, you know. The, 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 I hope that's going to be coming, and and I just hope they keep the, uh, the the prices kind of reasonable and maybe vary them a bit, you know. Because GameCube mm. did have some very slight games, yeah. That was what? in their sort of period where they actually started to like try and churn games out faster um, because of the woes of the N sixty four generation. So you know, right. don't be afraid to price Luigi's Mansion lower than Super Mario Sunshine. Like that, yeah, Wave Race Blue Storm is is not dramatically different than Wave Race sixty four. Maybe don't price it the same as Double Dash. Just a thought. Like they're both racing games, they must have the same price. No, no, they right. mustn't. Well, I just hope that they choose the right like five or six titles to release before they inevitably well, cut the plug. Before uh, cut before the switch too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before they're just like, yeah, we don't actually care about this. All right, all right, all. Guillaume, you've won the cynicism award for this email. Your prize <laughs> is the next the next email. All right, so Ian writes, "Hi guys, sorry I missed getting an email in for the celebration. I started listening somewhere around the mid three hundreds. Part of the reason that I still listen is that the episodes keep showing up on my podcast feed, and I find that despite how bad it can get, I just can't stop listening." Thank you, Ian. So just, just, just pause. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, yeah, we, we've, you know, we've received our fair share of compliments over the years, but that one really just gets you right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, no matter how bad you guys suck, 
it's just I'm so goddamn lazy I can't unsubscribe from this RSS feed. So we're just gonna get through this together. Well, like, you know, like the fact that this podcast this podcast is a train wreck is the reason he listens, but it's also the reason why we do it. Right. I mean, we actually are unable to stop too. The fact we we have a standing appointment and it just happens and we're all here and I mean, it's not like this gets planned. This just happens. It's, this it's, is... it's, it's all about inertia, apparently, on our end and the listeners' end. I, I suppose what you can say surely must be the most candid email we've got. In yeah, this is this is this is the dark underbelly that is. All, we've done five hundred episodes, and really, we only plan to do two. And then Carl uh, Carl came over, and we just wouldn't shut up. And here we are now. So, <sighs> so back to the email. In uh, episode 500, you were discussing a smaller Switch. My comment on this is that Nintendo would not release a smaller Switch with detachable Joy-Cons because they would not fit into the controller mold that they showed off in the commercial. I don't think that Nintendo would risk the confusion of releasing multiple controller molds that parents would find in stores. Um, Last night, Reggie was on the Tonight Show talking about Super Mario Run and uh, and the Switch. Where he let Jimmy Fallon play The Legend of Zelda Sowing Your Wild Oats. No mention was one. made. Yeah, that's new. No mention was made of about the rumor that it will be delayed again. In the light that the Wii U will be remembered by me as the only Nintendo home console that did not receive a new Zelda game uh, that it did not share with any other consoles, I want to know. Do you think that it might be time for Nintendo to start trying to make smaller Zelda games? The fact that they are coming out later and later in the system's life cycle means that eventually there will be a system that has the Zelda game completely cancelled because that game will come out three years into the life of the following system. Thanks for the show. Here's to many more. Two two points. One, I did I did sort of allude to the fact that I, I imagine the smaller Switch wouldn't have detachable Joy-Cons. Not yeah, because I, I, of, I, yeah, I kind of said that too, because again, like the scale of them, just like the, if they're well, any smaller, and, how useful are they? Separate and they'll get fucking lost. Yeah, like, so I, I think if they were going to do a smaller form factor version, it might have to sacrifice that component of the... Or Yeah, or it may, just come, it may just come with non... with basically just non-devices in the box. You know, devices you can't you can't attach to it. That fill the Joy-Con role, the the handheld controller, but ultimately they're not, you know, they don't come off, or they don't go on. They're just you would leave them at home when you took it with you. It's funny actually though, because he mentions the mold, and that was the 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 mold, the sort of the sad puppy or whatever internet memes of of characterized right. it as. Um, mm. Yeah, that was featured very prominently. You know, very in the shot of the system, you know, on the desk with with Fallon. Um, even though he there was, was no so particular sub- need he- for it to be, like, no, there were there were four Joy Cons on screen because they used you know they used a pro controller to play when it was like being projected, you know, right. on, on as it would be you know if it was going through the TV, and then when Fallon personally picked up the hardware and started playing with it, obviously the Joy Cons were already attached, so yeah, like that that was just there, you know. For sort of illustrative purposes or whatever, it's just, it's, it's not the sexiest thing in the world. That Me- puppy, thing. you know, like no. I've got kind of surprised. It's awkward looking. You'd want to show it. Maybe maybe they put that much hardware on that table to fool Fallon into saying it's three systems in one. And it yeah, worked. that's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, like, uh, well, I mean, 
you have to understand, he was genuinely surprised it was there and had not re- had not read some <laughs> comments, some like bullet points he needed to keep in mind. God. Um. But yeah, you're you're right. There were there were a number of Joy-Con on the is is Joy-Con the plural of Joy-Con? I think it is. Yeah, I think you're right. Fuck the Nintendo like, Star God. Okay, there, like there the were Borg, like the Borg. Remember, there were there were plenty of Joy-Con on screen that were non-used. So. Welcome to the uh, welcome to the Joy-Con apocalypse, where you're going to nine the point of these fucking is, things. Though, you know, it does kind of to Ian's point. You know, when he's talking about like confusers, but like if they're going to put that thing, you know, we're attaching the Joy-Con to this, you know, charger base thing that turns it into a regular controller. If they're going to put that so front and center, you know, maybe his point about them, you know, not wanting to kind of create a uh, sort of, you know, an asymmetry with a latter version where it's not compatible with that is, 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 you know, well taken. You know, it should be well taken. Hmm. Yeah, but case. I mean, if, if the latter version doesn't have detachable controllers, then they wouldn't assume it is compatible. But the, it would still be compatible wirelessly if you could buy one on the store shelves. Like, it would still be able to connect to it wireless. It would just be... It's just, it why would, would you want it? Because, you know, like, right. the uh, unless, detachable unless, bits have nowhere to atta- nowhere um, else to attach to. Unless and it we doesn't find... look that ergonomic by itself. As we've t- you know, these are weird sort of Frankenstein thing. <laughs> Unless we find down the road that there's some games that just use that use just the Joy-Con, like in a detached state, some fucking weirdo developer decides not to do that. Otherwise, then yeah, it's it's you probably wouldn't buy it because you wouldn't need it. But um, to to the thrust of Ian's email, besides besides the part where he broke all our hearts, <laughs> um, you can't delay the Legend of Zelda. You know why? It was never. It doesn't, it doesn't have a release date. Yeah, it just says yeah. 2017. You can't yeah, delay it was, 2017. It was never. It was ne- yeah. The you know, Switch has been promised for this fiscal year. Zelda's not then, a launch game. I'm gonna tell then, you that right now. Latterly for March 2017, but yeah, Zelda was never really. I never had that solid promise. So, yeah, it has been sort of what you might call like quasi delayed a bunch of times. Where it's like, well, you know, that kind of area of time is not happening, and all, but yeah, it, it's not really been hard delayed. Where it actually had a release date and then it got moved back. Right, um, but but yeah, I, look, we've talked about this a bit before. The ambition on these games has, you know, kind of outstripped their ability to deliver them, arguably. You know, when you think about Skyward Sword, how long that took to materialize, considering, you know, Twilight Princess was just a... uh, a, a port of a game that was already on you know, very similar hardware that came right. out at launch. You know, they had an awfully long time uh, mm. to make a Wii game, and it took them that long, even though they weren't dealing with HD yet, for instance, but they were dealing with motion controls and all this other stuff. And, you know, it's there were still issues like that bug that they ended up having to fix in roundabout yeah. ways. You know, and all that. So... I think, look, first of all, they do make smaller Zelda, or they have been making smaller Zelda games. They're the handheld ones. You yes, know, right. like, you know, we've had Phantom Hourglass, we've had Spirit Tracks, we've had Link Between Worlds, we've had Triforce Heroes. And that's the interesting dynamic going forward. If we see Switch as the one unified Nintendo platform of the future, do you still have this sort of schism between, okay, there's the big, giant, ambitious Zelda that might not come along again for another five years, that's a massive event, and then the sort of stream of smaller-scale Zelda product that, you know, might be a top-down game or anything like that. I think that seems likely to me. 
that you will get that, that that you know they know that Zelda's such a popular series that you know you can keep you know churning out product and making money off it on a far more regular basis and so what you have to do is oh, like remakes and you know that kind of thing they've done plenty of that but also you know things like link between worlds and and uh triforce heroes where you smaller less ambitious games that you can you know turn out with a much more confined development team and and make money off the name and and this is one of the things that we've been talking about since you know the first rumblings of this kind of a hybrid device came out of you know, what's this going to mean for portable games? And we've actually attacked that question a couple different times. The big dumb article I wrote spends an inordinate amount of time talking about that topic. And I think I think you're on point. It, these these games can exist together if Nintendo establishes that a portable size game can exist in the same ecosystem, but they have to establish it as a platform holder, it, not just for themselves, for the good of other publishers who might want to continue to make games of this size, especially say ones that happen to be in oh I don't know Japan, yeah. um, <laughs> who are Absolutely. currently making oh I don't know Vita games. Um, it would be it would be. It would behoove Nintendo to establish that, yes, you can make a game that's big and broad and huge, and you can also make a game that's the same kind of scope as what are currently portable games. And what better way for them to do that than make a Zelda in both and go, look, both of these can exist. There's obviously a a schism on price point, but both of these games can exist on this same device, and it's okay. And if they can establish that, if they can be successful with that, I think it would be liberating for the Switch as a hybrid device. And I think it would also kind of free their hand to go, okay, we can truly retire the 3DS. Because these cheaper, potentially less risky, um, you know, more targeted experiences can be successful on this platform where there's larger, broader, riskier you know, much more, maybe aiming much higher in terms of total profit, but with a much deeper trough if it goes wrong. Yeah, because the production costs would be so much more on these right. big games. I mean, look, it's not as if they haven't, I mean, yeah, typically it's been a portable, uh, you know, and then a you know, home console schism, but you go back to GameCube, you know, it had Wind Waker on it, it also had Four Swords Adventures. It did. You know, it's yeah. So, you know, I mean, I don't think it's it's so unprecedented. You know, this is something they could do, um, but I, I think there's, on a separate note, I think there's still probably an argument, perhaps, for them to, I mean, I guess we'll see how well Breath of the Wild fares, you know, as both as a game, uh, in terms of how much we enjoy it and commercially um, before rendering any real verdict on this. But, um, you know, maybe there's something to be said for them reigning in the ambition of the big Zelda games anyway. Maybe they might actually benefit from that. Uh, you know, in terms of it, it, the scope is more limited, but then you, you know, focus on what you can do within that scope. Right. Maybe that could be a more enjoyable game, but obviously you, you can't really prove a, a counterfactual. So it's like, well... right. You know, maybe Skyward Sword would have been a better game if they'd, you know, kind of uh, focused it yes. more and stuff. But we don't know that for sure. We don't really. Or maybe know it would be a better game if that... it wasn't so fucking focused. Because in some ways, it's super focused. Like, well, yeah, you know, some people would say it's too focused on the motion controls component of it, which had obviously ceased to be so such a big draw. Uh, you know, by twenty eleven. That's the other component of it, is that there's almost a sort of, if when you make a game over this length of time, certain elements can become updated. <laughs> you know, right. Hmm. But there's also, you know, the the fact that 
they they spent so much time building Hyrule for this game, and it seems to be from you know people have noticed like oh like if you look at these mountains from this angle, it's just like this art from the booklet of the first Zelda and stuff yeah. like that. Like oh this is you know like this mountain relatively to this lake. Like this is exact. This is the geography of Hyrule. So it seems to me that Nintendo is probably going to reuse this. You know, yeah, like I mean, they, they... and again, to go back to Majora's Mask. You know, that was a game. You know, Ocarina of Time was a gigantic, ridiculously ambitious project that ran over long. And then what they did is, you know, use it again. Is that you know mm-hmm. they remixed it uh, yeah. a hell of a lot of things with Majora's Mask and created quite a different experience that was still extremely worth playing. So yeah, you would hope. I mean, they remixed it. They, they remixed it twice because they had that that BS Zelda they were gonna release on um for the DD that ultimately you, you, they you should be Ura Zelda or latterly Master Quest. Although you should be careful yeah. about saying BS Zelda because right. that's actually you, a thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I know. That I, I mixed the two up. Yeah, that's what. I, that's <laughs> with yeah, the, the Ura with Zelda the, with the people like live broadcasting telling you what to do or on the Satella view. Yeah, yeah. I, I mixed the I mixed the two up. Yeah, the Ura <laughs> Zelda, which they was original remix, and then that got shelved, and then they went and made Majora's Mask, and ultimately they finished Ura Zelda at some point, and you could play it. Yep. And there were cows in the wall, and it was weird. And and yeah, that that was as much as was left. Again, I guess it, if it had actually shown up on sixty four DD, it would have been more different. You know, it would right. have yeah, used, probably like, the elements of the rewritable format and the system clock like more. But yeah, it didn't. Yeah, happen. you would have cut down trees, and they would grow back in real time, according to early <laughs> re- interviews that I've read. I'm sure that that stuff would have are been in the game. Sh- are you sure you weren't reading a Peter Molyneux interview? No, I swear. Yeah, like, Nintendo Power mentioned stuff like that. There, um, yeah, I mean, there was there was a lot of that at that time in terms of like when yeah. they had to try and hype up the notion of what 64 DD could do. Yeah, for the game. And, and the, so what, what it could the, do is not sell. <laughs> it would not exist in outside of Japan. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. I just think of it as the big kind of. Uh, I don't know the, the the tree craze of the late nineties. It was just uh... the speed tree, the speed tree era, the pre speed yeah. tree era. We were in the pre the era of the pre speed tree. Yeah. I, I would I would say to, to get us on topic before we transitioned out, um, having the the smaller you know I don't want to say smaller having having things like two D Zeldas and more experimental Zeldas on the same platform as where you get your your big damn Zelda. Um, may actually free their hand to be more willing to take a long time on a Zelda game because here it's not hey here's a port on you here's here's Wind Waker so now you have a Zelda you can play it's here's a new a new Zelda game there will be another new Zelda game in two years it may be Hyrule Warriors two it may be you know a sequel to Spirit Tracks it may be a sequel to Minish Cap but you will get a new Zelda game in two years it may not be the big Zelda but it'll be a new Zelda game. So we're willing to take more time on the the big Zelda, yeah. Because you're still getting you're still getting not just ports. You're not getting you know weird side things. You're getting real ass Zeldas. It's just they're different, and or, or they're, they're they're different. They may even be traditional Zeldas. I mean, the time between Spirit Tracks and and um, Phantom Hourglass is pretty quick. Two years, like, two thousand seven, yeah. two thousand nine. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty quick. I mean, because. Spirit Again, like, they kind of game. built all the fundamentals, they hadn't they? You know, with the touch control and the graphics and all that, and then they just went back to the well. And that, like, you know, like Guillaume says, I mean, so much is going to have gone into building Breath of the Wild. It would always be a crime 
to not. Well, at the know? very least, at the very least, things like the physics engines and stuff, if it works well, yeah, they can reuse. I mean, you've got to think that they're going to look to, uh, you know, recoup even more of the sort of the cod beyond just you know, whatever the game itself sells. Uh, you do it in other ways. Although it's worth mentioning, I mean, uh, Ian's point about, you know, the um, Wii U, like, not having a, a Zelda game all its own um, is a is, is, you know, very good point. But at the same time, 3DS arguably doesn't have a Zelda game that's entirely its own. When you think about how... You know, there's two remakes. There's a link between worlds, which is heavily based on Link to the Past. Which right. kind of started off as a remake, and it shares a world map and a dual world mechanic. And I, I very much like the game. I know James doesn't, but the, however much you like it, you can't argue with that fact. It's not entirely original. And then you got Triforce Heroes, which is both heavily based on Link Between Worlds it's, uh, itself in terms of like some of the fundamentals and then uh, Four Swords Adventures, you yep. know, going back in the past. So, you know, in that sense, you've got these two kind of parallel generations where that, that, that have lacked for a truly original Zelda game. So, again, yeah, I would like them to do more, you know, more small-scale Zelda games, um, but also more that are that that feel a bit fretty and more of their own. You know, they have their own identity. Well, in some and way. and I will say that that things like Hyrule Warriors, I think, was actually a step in the right direction for the Zelda franchise. In that, it's a game that feels good on its own. That they didn't have to tie up their own resources making. That still fits in that world. Like it's still, it's still, it still plays. It's still very clearly a Zelda game. And Damn, if they didn't get their money's worth out of that thing, because they poured <laughs> they poured that shit to 3ds. They oh, it's, said, it's got to be coming, hasn't it? The Switch version. Oh, it's, it's like or, or, every or it's, single it's, piece of DLC. It's either <laughs> it's either together. it's either going to be that or a high rule warriors too. Like yeah, it's going it to be one of the two. Be flat out too. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it's been long yeah. enough at this point, and and it's not like they they are shy about making sequels to Musou games. Well, is it the Dragon Quest one's getting a sequel that's coming out over here? Right? Yeah, uh, Dragon Quest Warriors just got, just got Dra- an next Dragon Quest Fighters or whatever. Heroes, too. heroes, heroes. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, they do those a lot. So, like, if I'm sure if Nintendo said, yeah, you can make another one, like they they would have the production team ready to go the next day. Like, hey guys, let's get started. Hmm. Um, I've got the next email, so I put out a call for Super Mario Run because we were just trying to fit news in the email and make two segments work as one, because um, that's planning. And uh, we actually got a lot of people who answered the call for a Super Mario Run email. Most of you just gave us asshole emails, which I appreciate. I really do. Super Mario Super Mario Run question mark is my favorite, but that's not the one we're going with. Zup writes, quick question. How fast do you think Mario runs? He's an overweight plumber with indeterminate age whose primary exercise comes from running, jumping, various sporting events, and eats mostly unhealthy food going by Mario Sunshine's opening. Do you think he, you could beat him in a race? Is Luigi faster than Mario? All questions dying to be asked. You did ask for questions about Mario Run on Twitter. Blame yourself, James. Yeah, well, I just want to say that recently uh, uh, an old interview with Miyamoto resurfaced where um, he explained that Mario was supposed to be kind of, you know, kind of not a placeholder, but, uh, you know, like just as bland as possible to, and to be able to man. be. And every man, yeah. So they determined that, like, they set in stone very few things about him. Like, they didn't give him a blood type or a favorite 
food, <laughs> which you know, which, is apparently in Japanese games. Is yeah, one of the in, first in Japan, that that's that's actually something that they they'll, they'll be like, look, explain the character. Because otherwise, just when you lose in Street Fighter Two and your avatar is bleeding, you're like, what type is that? So, blood? so exactly. it's, I mean, I know, j- yeah. just just to explain that in case you, you're you've you've experienced it and are wondering what it's basically their equivalent of like saying like, what's your horoscope? It's just, it's just it's just a thing that's really not important. Which, it's for the really... record, I remember you did used to enter when putting your high scores into Gradius three. There you go. Like so. it's it's just it's just a random thing that they that they just they just include in there. Um, it is what it is. Wow. Yeah. So so yeah. So those things were not uh you know like were that blank. But the the one thing that we know about Mario is that he's twenty four, twenty five years old. So which, yeah. which he's when, had a rough rough life if he is twenty four twenty five. Yeah, now, now it's become kind of a running joke with uh, Karen here. Like every time <laughs> that we see him, it's just like, well, you know, he's a young guy. He's like twenty four twenty five, and I don't know. It, there's it's so fucking funny, but yeah. So in <laughs> fact, like Zap is wrong. He's not of indeterminate age. It's literally the only determined thing about him. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, well, and if you look at Jumpman and say he's twenty four, twenty five, Jumpman looks like he's fifty. Like, Jumpman- yeah, that's the thing. Oh, I mean, because yeah. uh, as has happened to a lot of video game characters, and not even human ones, like Mario slimmed down over the years. The, the design and it looks sort of cuddlier, um, but but slimmer. His, and like his Sonic, features have- that that happened to Sonic as well. He had a sort of so- pot belly originally, and then he became lanky and so you had sort of this bendy thing. Um, mm-hmm. Pikachu. Pikachu was chubby. And oh then yeah, Pikachu was quite they fat. Slimmed, they slimmed it way down uh, over the years. So yeah, that that apparently is the the life cycle of a video game icon. Is <laughs> you just start chubby, and then you know you have to start watching your weight. So okay. there you go. I mean, maybe I, I've it's gone been... faster over the years as well. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, I, I will say that as I as I approached my thirties, I started taking better care of myself. So maybe that's what it is. He's just yeah. he just said, you know, I gotta I gotta start taking care of this because I've only got one. And I spend about a third of my life jumping on, you know, anthropomorphized turtles. So I should probably be in good shape. I guess you got uh, whether you have to sort of, and also, I mean, aside from Super Mario Sunshine, openly notwithstanding, surely his his mushroom diet is is the main main thing. You know. And he was on vacation. Like you're supposed to eat eat heavily on vacation. Yeah, right? I, I don't even remember. Going, so like, refresh my memory. What is he eating? Like. In that I'm not even sure. I, do, I, I do, just, I mean, it's it's the Super Mario Sunshine cutscenes are terrible. Oh <laughs> they yeah, are the main thing you remember. About even them. even shit like I remember making. I think we've made jokes about it on this show that like even things like the airplanes, like that would never fly. Like nothing in this is good. Everything here is awful. Like the very first shot is them on a plane. You're like that plane looks like shit. Like that's that's the first the first thought of, of also of, uh, he presumably in sunshine it must have at least got balanced out when he was you know, thrown in the slammer. I can't imagine true. he was getting particularly fattening. So, food so in does there. does that mean mm. that like Mario between games probably probably fattens himself up and then by the end with all the physical exertion he's lost enough weight that, so, that he's yeah. So so uh, I have played the demo. I went to an Apple store. And I, I went to oh, play right, the Super, Super Mario, Mario Run, run demo. <laughs> yes. And I actually have part of the answer here because when you do the tutorial, of course, it teaches you how to play. But before that, uh, you get Mario's motivation in this game. And guess what? Bowser, well, first you receive a letter. Yes, the princess has baked a cake for you. 
And then Bowser shows up and he's like, this cake is mine. And also I'm kidnapping the princess. So he, Mario still has a sweet tooth. And, the ca- uh, yeah, the cake consumption thing. I mean, it's getting up there now. If he's, if this is like going to be every game, which it, it's a, it's getting to be a lot of them now that the cake yeah. is involved. Did, did, did Bowser explicitly go, the cake is mine. Oh, also I'm taking the princess. Yeah, because- you know, I've yes, seen that's the video. How it, goes. It, yes. it is exactly Because at this goes. point, I'm wondering if maybe the princess should just really consider a different career and just fucking sell cakes and just like, just, because there's gold literally everywhere. Gold gold is on every surface in the Mushroom Kingdom. Cakes should be imminently affordable to all members of society. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a, just sell cakes and you'll stop getting kidnapped. It's just I'm a just, very prominent baking powder sort of shortage in that kingdom. That, you know, only, <laughs> only royalty has it. It makes you think that they've got to do the obvious thing eventually where Bowser doesn't even try to kidnap Peach. He just wipes the cake, but she was hiding inside to pop out in Mary's birthday party. Uh, that would be able to adult, yeah. right? Like that. That's yeah. There's some inconsistency here because I, which game was it? New Super Mario Brothers Wii, where where like the whole bunch, like the 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 all the Koopa kids come out of a birthday cake. Yeah, yeah see, so that that time she didn't bake it herself or was right. monstrously negligent she had it, during yeah. the baking process. Yeah. Well, she, yeah, she had it ordered and she ordered it from Browser, which yep. is just. <laughs> It's wow. weird, but you know, he does bake. Look, 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 yeah, he's he's an, he's an excellent baker, and he uses you know he built, he makes gluten free cakes. There's not a lot of those in the Mushroom Kingdom. It's not fucking full of mushrooms like all the other assholes in this kingdom make. They, they don't get spores all over it, Toad. Um, you know, it's 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 different. He knows how to he knows how to make a cake, and sometimes you get kidnapped when you bake a cake. It's fine. Everything's mm. fine. Uh, so, maybe maybe yeah. this is maybe maybe we should talk about Super Mario Run, but yeah. but conversely, maybe we should talk about cakes. <laughs> well, the the thing is, Super Mario Run is is very simple, and I think yeah, if you've seen the videos of how it plays, like what you see is what you get. I, I so how do you found... how do you con- how do you control it? Let's just real quick. Uh, you use both hands. Firmly grip the no wait. You can play with one hand. Uh, you you just uh, you you tap the the screen to make Mario jump, and the longer you hold down uh, on the screen, the longer your tap is. I guess uh, the the higher you jump. Do you have any control over what direction he moves? No, no. He's always constantly moving forward, unless uh, you know there are very clear kind of arrows on the ground indicating that he's gonna. Uh, start reversing his course, right? Like oh, if you, or you if could you stop jump... him. It could stop him in place. Certain blocks, can't it? So kind of set right. up a timing thing where you know, okay, you 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 sort of tap to make him start running again or something at the correct time to avoid you know, dying or whatever. So right. you've got little thing, little wrinkles for the look of it, but yeah, obviously it's not a huge amount to it from what we've seen so far. But um, I do like the fact that you've got even in this sort of simple framework that they're going to have different playable characters with. different different um, attributes you know luigi's got his sort of crazy kick jump thing you know that's more floaty and you hope she's in there and he's actually got his flutter jump and stuff like that it, it's nice huh. that um, there's at least you know, some variety in that sense also looking at the uh, footage that we've got on our you know, nwr tv youtube channel i noticed that it would appear if you tap during a jump it will do the new super mario brothers twirl Yes, uh, that was shake activated in the Wii game, um, which I ah. have, an, have an irrational love for that move. 
It's, <laughs> it's something about sometimes it's genuinely genuinely useful. Sometimes it's just pure hot doggery, but it's it's wonderful. I, I, yeah, I it's it's, it's very showy. It. Yeah, I love that they managed to work that in. Yeah, when it's such it's such a simple game. So, uh, Guillaume, I'm going to ask the obvious question: Did you enjoy playing it? I kind of left me cold, but I, I just uh, I'm not that into phone games, and I'm not that into kind of auto runner games. So I don't know. Like I played through the three. There only there are only three levels in the demo. It's only in the first world, so it's only kind of you know the world one new Super Mario Brothers setting, and uh, so I've seen that before. It looks great at the resolution that it's at on the iPhone. Like it's definitely a step up from you know like new Super Mario Brothers two. But other than just kind of higher resolution, it's, I don't know, I guess uh, Mario does have kind of more acrobatic moves, I suppose. Yeah, like the, there's the a hardcore element that they build. Yeah, because, because he kind of somersaults over like the, 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 the Goombas automatically. But if you press the, if you tap at that moment, then, you know, you kind of get an extra coin, uh, some extra points. Like Yeah, you, so you've got you actually... the score element of your killing enemies is better than just it auto-avoiding them, but also mm-hmm. you can get that extra jump off them as well, you know, like the, the bigger elevation that you get off jumping an enemy, off an enemy's head in, you know, any Super Mario Brothers game, you, you right. get that as well, so, you know, there, there, there is a reason to not just let it run over them. <laughs> right, and, you know, like the Koopa shells, of course, like, if you time it right, you're gonna jump, stump on them and kind of kick them, and uh, you'll kind of multiply the points, uh, you know, when when the shell goes into Goomba after Goomba. So th- there are a lot of, uh, yeah, like various paths where uh, it's going to be a challenge to kind of just, well, execute th- every move well, but also kind of find the optimal path to, to maximize your score. But right. uh, that that's one of the things that doesn't have me too excited. Like, it's all about the score. And that's not really... Um, what I play Mario games for. Like, I've been, um, I've been really, I, I've been playing them a lot <laughs> in this gen, and mostly it's been because, you know, because of the multiplayer, or because, uh, Charles Martinet, is, you know, is kind of hilarious, you know? Right. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely. He just, he just is. Yeah, I, I genuinely love Luigi number one and stuff like that. Like, it, it's just, it, it cracks me up and uh so i didn't have the sound full blast when i was playing this demo i don't know maybe like he's still hilarious but mostly i was hearing just the people luigi's paid ten dollars to play more game <laughs> yeah maybe but uh <laughs> yeah mostly i couldn't hear the sound so it just you know it was not ideal but yeah, it was it was an interesting experience because it was like at least two firsts for me. It was the first time I actually set foot in an Apple store. So that was interesting. It was also the first time that I was playing a portable Mario demo that was not tethered to a model. Hmm. <laughs> so you lost out in that too. So it's a bad day all around. The thing is, if you go, like I wrote, uh, back in the day I wrote uh, the preview for New Super Mario Brothers 2 when it was first shown. And, uh, you know, very similarly, there were three levels that were playable, and I was, you know, not that impressed. Uh, and then I, I thought that the game, the full game, turned out much better. So... Mm, yeah, I, I, it, it's, it's, I mean, 
Mario games demo in you know, traditional Mario games more than this one, really. You know, it, it's, right. it's tough because they're never going to give you like deep cuts. Of, no. you know, advanced stuff. But on the other hand, especially with the new Super Mario Brothers series, like everything else is really well understood. Like the basics are so well understood. You know, the mechanics, the physics, the feel. I mean, you know, like uh, the most you're probably going to get is like, oh, well, we brought back this power up from this game this time. And so you can use it a bit. Or so. it's, they, right. they are not great demo fodder. I mean, for me, I've not played this. I, I don't know, got any concrete plans to play it, but I could get into the score mode of it more you know i mean i stuff like uh runner two you know just played to death improving my scores and all that now yeah this is probably a bit more simple because you haven't got as many actions sure uh, but um you know I, I feel like uh it's the kind of thing that i could get into the interesting part's going to be whether the kind of community aspects of it you know like the tall toad like comparing you, you know, Toadette in the role of Judd from Splatoon, comparing scores and all that, whether that gets more people to kind of uh, really get involved in the high score component of it. Because like it's something that I really like doing, you know, pitball games, Pac-Man, whatever, like, you know, it, I, it just across the board, whether there's leaderboards or not, although leaderboards are better, but, you know, I, I just enjoy that kind of gameplay for its own sake. The real thing's going to be with you know, my Nintendo and all the, the, the kind of quasi street pass kind of stuff with all this. Are they going to be able to kind of inspire people to compete with each other and, mm. and actually make that a more compelling kind of aspect and, and therefore actually give it a, a sort of substantially more different appeal from regular Mario games? Because as you said, what, you know, they are not, about, I mean, there is a score, but it's not really about that, you know? No. Right. But but also like you you really get into these kind of leaderboards uh, uh, focused games like Runner Two and stuff like that and and for people like me who aren't not you know as able to compete uh, <laughs> that that kind of stuff quickly kind of becomes daunting or tedious or it's just a feast. well even even for me it's feast or famine you know it's like yeah. you, you know it kind of like if you don't if you don't feel like you can really kind of get into the nitty gritty and, and, and keep improving your score up to kind of high echelons, you just kind of drop out of it completely. Or you go all the way down the rabbit hole and play it an absolute shitload. And that's why <laughs> I think these complete, these uh, community aspects are actually really important to try and kind of cajole people into it. Right. More. To push mm. you into being the absolute. That's sh- why Mitomo still sends alerts to your phone going like, hey. We've got a new feet costume set, and I'm like, hey, I haven't played it in three months, <laughs> so maybe I don't give an F. Um, so we have one final email, and Greg, it is about music, so I'm actually going to let you read it. So Colin from Pennsylvania writes, I've been listening for about a year, uh, but this is my first time writing in. You guys have a great show. I have a request for an exit song. It is the unused song on Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I had stumbled into it while putting in codes when I was younger, and I'd always wondered why they never used it. Liking it a lot, I even tried substituting the Oil Ocean Music Everywhere code with this track instead, uh, instead of 4, I and a 10, and it almost worked. Like a hmm. teaser, it continued after I pressed start, only to stop when I got to the start screen. Oh. <laughs> if my memory serves me well. The only thing I remember for sure is that it almost worked. 
Anyway, years later, I was playing uh, The Legend of Zelda Minish Cap, and I realised that the Minish Village song was eerily similar to this song. I was very excited about this. However, it has since been a mystery to me, as well as a sort of neat, unintended Easter egg. Uh, perhaps you could squeeze both songs in somewhere for a comparison. Uh, I can't help but wonder what the story is behind this, as wondering if you guys would have any theories about it. Well, I personally don't have any theories. I, I mean, I looked into the composers and uh, the they're chap that, that... Yeah, they're, they're certainly different. The chap that composed for uh, Minish Cap was actually a compo- uh, composer at Capcom at the time because, of course, they yeah, were... Yeah, it's flagship. A, a flagship game that was you know, from within Capcom. Latterly, you know, a bunch of people that worked on those games kind of went over to Nintendo, didn't they? But uh, Yep, they ended up working on uh, Skyward Sword as their first game. Yeah, but, uh, but at that time, yeah, that was... Uh, uh, you, you know, a Capcom composer who'd done stuff for you know their fighting games and whatnot, whereas you know Sonic Two, you know Sonic Two had the same composer as Sonic One, um, you know, and then of course for the third one, there's all the legends about Michael Jackson doing the soundtrack or whatever else. But yeah, right. so um, this I, I I presume is pure coincidence. Uh, but we will play both songs back to back for people to uh, to appreciate uh, you know, what's going on here because there is a similarity. I don't think it's like you know something like when, uh, for instance, uh, a while ago an episode it used a song from Chrono Trigger, which is extremely close to the theme from Laputa Castle in the Sky. It sure uh, is, and uh, you know that's probably not a coincidence. It <laughs> so, sure isn't. <laughs> yeah, just as much as the way that Breath of the Wild. Movie is huge in Japan even yeah, now. It's it's, it's it's you know it's a wonderful movie. I'm, I'm sure that it's I'm sure, everywhere. I'm sure they'd seen it. Uh, but yeah, in this case, consider it's an unused song. Like it's just in the sound test or whatever from Sonic Two. I'm willing to say it's just happenstance. But to perhaps judge for yourselves. If anybody wants to see how really similar they are, you'll be able to hear it just now. Yep, so if you want to send us your listener mail questions, you can send them to RFN and attend to RollReport.com, and that will do it this week. Greg, Guillaume, thank you for being here. Uh, not a problem. Pleasure as always, James. <laughs> uh, as, we s- as we said earlier, inertia is... Yeah, uh, inertia, in the, yeah, the, main the, main the real reason behind Momentum, everything. Momentum, thank you. I, I, want, I want to thank you guys for not having the strength to stop this train, and on that <laughs> dire thought, it's time to end the show. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.